0: Studios in Norwalk, Connecticut. This is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on our podcast, our interview with Shatter Captain Adam Wrigley.
1: We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbeam. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support.
2: Time for this week's combat robotics news. I have three news items for you today. First up, BattleBots captains and builders took home top prizes this past weekend at NHRL. In the 30s, Valkyrie captain Lucy Dew went undefeated to take home first place with her Valkyrie esque four wheel drive undercutter Kablooie Tango. In the 12s, University of Cincinnati graduate student Jake Hoffman took home first place with his dominant Thagomizer-style robot Maximizer. However, the big story this month was in the Beatles, where Big Dill team member Tommy Wong faced an incredibly difficult journey through the bracket, defeating top-tier robots Twin Beast, Sea Dragon's Roar, Spartan, Chainsaw Kitty, Synthesis, and Caldera to take home first place in that division. Tommy last competed NHRL in December 2020, where he took home first place and $10,000 cash as the winner of the very first NHRL finals. He didn't return to the competition for the following three and a half years. And a lot of people, myself included, wondered if his bot still had what it takes to compete against the modern field of NHRL beetleweights. He answered those questions in convincing fashion on Saturday, where his bot ran perfectly across seven matches in a single day leaving a trail of broken bots in his wake. I want to pause here. Uh, The four of us, we all worked this past uh, weekend at Venturell. It was a great one. Um, I would love to get your reflections and thoughts on this past weekend's competition.
1: I feel like this event, maybe more so than others. I don't know. That's not even really fair to say. But like, it just seemed like the level of competition at this event felt higher than... in a a long time and I don't really know why that is it just the quality of the bots have gotten so 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 good and I was kind of mentioning this to uh uh Luke and Chris over brunch the next day but like a lot of the builders from like maybe the last year and a half year who have you know started off they were doing pretty good they've now had that extra year to get really really good so now they're like the field of really, really good builders and drivers has increased dramatically because there are now these like kind of homegrown builders who now have a lot more experience under their belt um, and have just been able to bring the competition that much more. So it's no longer just. Um, like BattleBots, captains, drivers, builders that are, you know, sweeping everything. Uh, You know, it's still obviously a lot of, you know, people involved in BattleBots, but like, regardless, there's still so many homegrown NHRL competitors who are now um, really at the same level. Um, And that, I mean, it's just like, It's really making the competition that much more exciting to watch. It
0: was also surprising because you know there was basically like this another championship match going on in Seattle uh, that drew a lot of the talent away from NHRL for this particular event. So I thought that there was actually going to be kind of that absence there, but it was not. It was it was one of the hardest fought uh, NHRL brackets I have ever seen. And I could not believe the energy and, and the enthusiasm for this Droopy and Caldera uh, finale in the Three Pounders. Yeah. It was wild. Even at the end of the night, uh, despite ending at a, at a reasonable hour, uh, you know we still had full bleachers, people stomping their feet, people <laughs> cheering for both teams. It was awesome. It was awesome. I have never seen that level of energy at the end of an NHRL competition before, and uh, I am living for it.
1: It also really puts Droopy back on the map. Um, I mean, the competition that he had to get through at this event was much higher than you know what it looked like back in 2020. Um, and if he can beat bots like Caldera... Spartan, Chainsaw Kitty, uh, uh, Sea Dragons Roar, which looked so good at this event. William was only one fight away from qualifying. Um, If Droopy can make it through all of those bots (laughs) in this competition after its first one back and could beat Lynx, you know, back in 2020, Droopy may be at this point the bot that is favored to win it all in November, which is crazy to say, but it's like, who can take it down at this point although i guess teams will have half of a year to kind of figure out droopy um you know modifications if yeah. to to fight him and and make a plan for that so
3: i don't i don't know about droopy modifications that's um i mean that's just an impossible problem to solve you know what i mean the the math of droopy is so impressive each one of those blades weighs close to a pound in a 3 pound competition right the, it actually moves pretty quickly across the box now. Like, it's it's a legit threat instead of this, like, pseudo or quasi arena hazard, which is what it kind of used to be. Um, now it's active. It's it's puppeteered, right? Tommy's doing something completely different with this robot than he was back in 2020. Um, Tommy Wong's an amazing competitor, and it's really cool to see that the memes, the, the internet memes about Droopy being inevitable or being, like, death, uh have turned out to be very true this is way more satisfying than um hella chopper just saying
0: <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised that we see um you know some kind of like adaptive anti-droopy forks kind of uh being part of the arsenal of a lot of the the bots that we'll see in november in the finals because like the only way to really be safe from droopy is to really have that l- that reach advantage. Um, because you can't get close to it, uh just like you said you know each of those each of those weapon blades is one third of the weight of uh, some of the other bots that would go head to head with it so you really just can't go up and smash droopy in the face you have to be able to hit it and control it from a distance and that is um you know uh that that is also a kind of a drawback because like by the time that you really do have to potentially dethrone droopy, you're so late in the game that the floors at NHRL might not be so accommodating to really long forks or a really long kind of wedge configuration. So it's like, uh, you know, Droopy's obscurity is its is its best weapon. It's not even those two horizontals. It's 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 a really awesome bot to watch.
1: I know that a uh, Kazaya with Chainsaw Kitty, um, she came so close to taking Droopy down, and uh, she said she's already you know formulating um a counterattack if she were to face droopy in the finals um and you know i'm sure other teams are thinking about it too she she was secretive about it on discord she said she wasn't going to (laughs) share her idea and i don't blame her um but uh yeah it's gonna be a thing because at this point like droopy does seem inevitable i
2: I think i think it's it's interesting the droopy story is interesting because it really shows that this sport is really still very geographic, um. You know, in Southern California, Droopy fights all the time. Calvin Iba has told me now for two years, every single time I face Droopy, I beat Droopy, right? And you're like, okay, all right, that's interesting. What makes Links so different than Chainsaw Kitty? What makes Links so different from Twin Beast, right? Um, or or Eruption, you know? Um, like what what is it? that you know about Drupal that we don't know yet, you know? And it's like so cool that somebody who is developing a really interesting, innovative weapon system over on the West Coast can come over to the East Coast and just shock our our competition, kind of shock our ecosystem. I mean, we, we see this so clearly in Brazil. Like Brazil, they are evolving the robots differently down there. And when they come up, they look different, you know, than... Um, than than our east coast robots and it's like that is one of the coolest coolest parts about this stage of the competition because it's not necessarily global yet like it's not easy to compete across the world in this weight class so every once in a while you know we see a, a rare and beautiful west coast bird you know fly over to the east coast and just uh decimate the ecosystem here it's just incredible um so, yeah, I love Droopy. I am I am back on on the Droopy train.
1: <laughs> um other than Droopy, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say there, but um I just want to talk about my profound love for Maximizer and everybody from University of Cincinnati. Um I feel like they represent what is so incredible about this sport, which is um, you know, teamwork, just collaboration, pulling together, supporting each other. Um, you know, Maximizer's first event was not that long ago. It went 0 and 2. Um, but Jay Kaufman, who's the primary builder, um, has I was talking to to like the coach of the robotics team, and he was saying that like. Jake is almost obsessive and like bugs everybody for um, plywood testing. Yeah. Like they have to go on runs to get material so he can do more testing. And they're all like, Jake, give it a rest. And Jake's like, no, no, no. I have to, I have to work at this and perfect it. Um, And I was, happened to be in the pits away from my desk when he, right after he won, when he was coming back up to the pits upstairs, his whole team was already waiting for him, like ready to just like jump on him. Like after someone, you know, hits a walk-off home run and you all like jump on top of them and jump Gatorade on their head. (laughs)
0: Like One thing I noticed about him is obviously there is a lot of obsessive uh, builders in this sport, but there's something about him where he can like, share that energy and bring other people into that energy yeah that makes other people obsessed with it and that is it's so awesome to watch uh you know when he is like when he is dialed in and he's on stream and he is pumped the people around him are pumped the people around him are you know willing to like like literally fall in the same swords that he that he is and it's uh you know, people like that, anywhere you look, it doesn't not just combat robotics, it's just so rare and it's so genuine, and I am living for it.
1: We have all of these like young ambassadors of the sport, you know, there's Jake, there's uh Johnny Sumpas, there's like no shortage of and then even like when you think about Lydia with Timber, who's like so much younger, but like we have all of these faces who are I would say, you know, like touch points, like connection points for people outside of the community to be like, wow, this looks like a lot of fun. This looks like something I want to get involved in or get my kids involved in. Or, you know, maybe I've never been involved in this before, but like I'm older and I want to get involved. Right. Um, And like, I just I really believe Like, you know, that's what it's all about for me robots fighting each other, all like the technical details, like, all that's cool. But what it is for me is like the community and, and, um, like that whole aspect. That's what really keeps me interested in this sport. And I just feel like we're growing that every single event.
3: One thing that I'd like to point out about Jake Hoffman is that Jake is living his combat robotics life right now as if he is Ash Ketchum going through a Pokemon game. He is (laughs) challenging himself. He is working hard. He is trying new things like the the amount of changes he made on the bot specific to his opponent is like it it very well could be a plot from a Pokemon episode. I love the way he thinks. I love his energy. And um, man, when, when you first go meet him in the pits, it's like you're talking. He's legit. He is the character, right? He's trying to get it done. He's trying to win. He's amazing um yeah this this event was full of really cool stories and really cool people um really interesting folks who care a lot about what they're doing well said kyle
1: yeah i'm not afraid to admit uh i did cry several times (laughs) during the event with like other people when we were talking about like how much we appreciate and respect um the hard work and dedication that like these especially these young people are putting into this. Um, I did cry alongside several dads. I won't name them by name, but they cried along with me. You know who you are. <laughs> and I love that because it's just, you know, I could go on forever, but y- you know where I stand.
2: Well said. Yeah. Inspiring. Wholesome. I love it. Um, I also cried. Yeah. I uh, I I cried during uh, Jake's uh, winner's speech. Just, uh, it was really cool to see. Um, somebody who was going, oh, to just several months ago and putting so much work into it and coming out with a golden dumpster. And just, you could see, this is the result of four or five months of super dedicated work. And, um, you know, it was just apparent uh, on every part of of him and his energy, you know, uh, Saturday night, which was really, really cool.
1: Two more things. Um, okay, good. We I, we, ha- we have to mention, well, A, the surprising outcome that I don't think anybody would have uh, foresaw, which is that Team AGVS did not qualify a single bot, um, which Besides is. Chibata. Well, he is not, Rato is not technically AGVS. Yeah, he not on the team. Yeah. So that was shocking. I mean, that just tells you like the level of competition yeah, because it's... those are meticulous robots. Yeah.
0: That's absolutely, that's a great point.
1: Um, So yeah, that is shocking. I know that they said they, that this was their only shot. Kyle, I think you said this and I agree with you. Like they're probably going to find another way to get back. (laughs) Cause I I don't think uh, they want to not be there in November. Um, But then secondly, talk about enthusiasm around Rato um, and Chibata I know I mean we had thousands of specifically his fans tuning in the entire day um just cheering on for their favorite robot like the I mean cult of personality is like maybe it has negative connotation but like he is truly a robot pop star in Brazil and the level of dedication of his fans in the chat like I think took a lot of people by surprise but like I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There are other places that you can go to have more managed, moderated conversations, whether it's the Discord or this time around the Twitch. Like you can have those conversations elsewhere. And it is okay for YouTube to just be the cheering section, uh, because I think that's what it is for a lot of, you know, other larger live streams out there. Um, So none of us were expecting it. But, oh, my God, like. I was so impressed by how much they love Rato and he was such a nice guy and he was so sweet. And for him to have built that bot in 20 days and qualify is pretty impressive.
3: Yeah, well said. Uh, I will also say the more people that are watching a stream, the more people that are just going to happen upon that stream or find that stream. Like getting a a ton of eyes on NHRL as the competition is happening is a really cool thing. I think that should be, you know, really, we should be thanking Rato for kind of loaning us some of his star power with this last event. It was really cool. Um, And you're right, Lindsay, he's such a nice guy, (laughs) like just a genuine, sweet, humble guy. He was super worried about how his bot would perform. I think he was as shocked and pleased as anybody that he did as well as he did. Um, And it's a cool bot. It's not the kind of bot you normally see coming out of Brazil. So that was really neat.
1: Yeah. And he really won decisively against Lil Rip. So good event, just great event. So many of the problems from March, I think were addressed and um, you know, if NHRL keeps this up, I think, uh, you know, we're going to really be on to bigger and better things.
3: I think right now, like what they're trying to do kind of starting the three pound competition early and adding a lot more, you know, cages, refs, uh, judges. Um, You know that's the limiting factor it's really uh, it's so hard to manage that many boxes and that many judges at once but if they if they can like start nailing that at every single event um we could be running like all of the finals at the same time and you know really like putting on a really good final presentation with like good timing and good pacing um and that would be really cool that would be really really cool
2: all right. Meanwhile, uh, Mad Catter driver Calvin Eba took home first place in the Beatles this weekend in Seattle at the Robot Combat League's National Championship. In the 12s, it was the wedgie lifter bot Quicksilver run by Seattle's Carrie Weaver. And finally, catch live robot combat this weekend in Colorado, Georgia and Minnesota. In Colorado, Copperhead team member Casey Coons is fighting fairyweights, antweights, and beetleweights at the Boulder County Fairgrounds in Longmont on Saturday and Sunday. In Georgia, Turnabot is running an antweight tournament in Dunwoody on Saturday. And in Minnesota, the Dollar Hobbies Combat Robot Club is back in action this Sunday, where they'll be fighting fairyweights and antweights at the Dollar Hobby store in Woodbury. Check out details on these events and more at robotcombatevents.com. And that's it for this week's news. All right, let's take a look back at episode 16 of BattleBots, which aired this past Thursday. We officially kicked off the round of 32 with eight single elimination fights, where we bid goodbye to Jackpot, Lucky, Bloodsport, Shatter, Claw Viper, Scorpios, Rotator, and the 2022 champion, Tantrum. As Vertz, Witch Doctor, Hypershock, Lockjaw, Riptide, Madcatter, Huge, Copperhead, and Endgame advance to the next round. I want to pause here and get your thoughts on episode 16, uh, Chris and Lindsay.
0: You're uh, you, you want to start us off? There was a, there was a couple of really incredible matchups. Uh, right off the top of my head, uh, seeing the uh, the witch doctor fight with um, jackpot was maybe one of the most punishing fights that we've seen all season. Jackpot was not looking too great uh, at the end of that fight. Uh, and Witch Doctor was really kind of applying a steady pressure that Jackpot was just really not able to keep up with. It was um, really uh, impressive to see the Glateleys like, you know, because like I feel like when we get to the postseason, the Glateleys, they they try to draw back a bit. They're trying to preserve parts. They're trying to preserve themselves to go deeper into the tournament. But they just like, they full on went at Jackpot and it was Jackpot was obliterated. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even like, I'm not even mincing words here. It They really went hard at Jackpot. And, uh, you know, that really kind of set themselves up to uh, be in a good place to go into the later stages of the uh, of the finals here.
1: I uh I was heartbroken a little bit over the Bloodsport Lockjaw match. Yeah, just because you know Bloodsport was really dominating that match. Lockjaw's tires were were basically yeah. uh gone. Um, it was really controlling the pace, the damage. You know, a lot of the aggression. Um, and then that aggression, you know, maybe got a little bit the the better of them um and they went in for another hit which to be fair you kind of have to do it's you know they they don't really have a lot of a choice especially with this new rule set like you got to go in for the kill um and they ended up on their head and that self riding mechanism that they were struggling with you know kind of all season it was not working and I I don't know the story behind it in that particular instance but um once they're on their head that was it Lockjaw, you know, eked out that win, but um, it was definitely shocking and sad. And you know, just knowing the sheer number of people on Bloodsport um, and how all of them are so dedicated, and all they all have their own, you know, little job—not little job, but they all have like their own responsibilities, and they all own a piece of that bod and the. The teamwork that it takes to kind of pull that off is impressive, and it was sad to see that go. Of course, I'm happy for Lockjaw. Nothing against them, but, um, yeah, kind of, kind of a bummer. You ha- you hate to see a bot go out like that in the finals.
0: Do you want to touch on uh the Rotator Copperhead fight at all? Even though we weren't there,
1: we were not there. Um, but it was exciting to see it on TV. Um, I know Chad had mentioned uh, that one of our ESCs blew out, kind of right towards the very beginning of that match, which affected, um, you know, one drive side. And... I think it was our
0: left side drive side. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, we uh, we were we were limping after a pretty early exchange, um, and uh, you know, I'll give it to uh, to Rotator who uh, kept coming in for for more engagements and you know, ultimately it was, uh, it was just a kind of a flurry of those, uh, you know, crossing swords <laughs> where uh, we, we ended up coming out on top of that. And, um, you know, both, uh, both rotator and uh, Copperhead having, uh, you know, pretty recently coming off that big loss to Ripperoni, like we had something to prove, they had something to prove. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we won those, uh, those early sets of exchanges uh even though we were kind of hobbled but you know uh you know victor and and rotator uh did uh, you know an incredible job with what they had rotators had now a couple of difficult seasons in a row and i, I hope that they're able to kind of dial in some of those issues because it is one of the greatest uh you know teams to watch and they have an like, incredible brand built around their bot yeah and you know i i want to see them keep coming back again and again they really do belong in the finals and uh you know i uh i wish them the best of luck uh you know in the in the next season um do we want to do we want to go down this road you know what road i'm talking about we do
2: not chris okay Because <laughs> we're going to save it for the uh, for the interview with
0: adam that's a good point so yeah i guess we'll we'll save that
1: I will say, you know, in this episode, uh we said goodbye to a lot of very interesting designs. Um mm. and it's sad to see, you know, especially Claw Vipers season end so soon after what a dominant season they had. Um but that's that them's the breaks as they say. Um Yeah. It it
2: made me laugh when I was listing them out and I'm like, "Okay, we got a lifter, we've got a flipper, we've got a hammer." We've got a vert. We've got an undercutter. All dead. All verts. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's yeah. it's only it's only verts. Like the only uh, the only difference is whether you have four wheels or two wheels, and most of them have uh, have four. So uh, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, thank you, BattleBots, I guess you know, like uh, it, it was it, like we we had this wonderful diversity of of robot types and uh, came out of it into the round of sixteen with very little diversity.
1: Yeah yeah
3: i uh I think that we did the opposite at n h r l this last weekend. It was like one vert in all of the finals um that was that was very odd but yeah, battlebots, thanks for being typical. We appreciate you
2: <laughs> um all right well, uh we had this past week seventy eight people send in predictions, and this is our biggest field of perfect prediction cards yet. 13 people managed to call all eight fights correctly last week. So well done, everyone. Now, those 13 people were, uh, I'm going to do this alphabetically by your first name. So uh, I guess uh, wait to hear your name. Uh, Ben Cooper, Copperhead team member and noted giant pumpkin grower, Chad New, who was definitely there for the round of 32. (laughs) Yeah, Uh,
1: Chad, you might say you don't remember, but uh, I'm calling BS there.
2: Uh, we've got Drew Willis, Elizabeth Nightmare our are just our best uh, out of all of our many fans. I mean, she's got the best name, so Elizabeth, uh, well done. Graham Grizz Glover the Third, Jake Nickerson, James Montgomery, James Williams, Jethro raya Lubin, Michael Weiss, Mike Lesko, Pat Maloney, and Spencer Sahu. The big upset of the night was Bloodsport versus Lockjaw with the majority of people thinking Bloodsport would win kyle as an fyi you managed to call seven out of eight fights correctly very well done similarly falling into the blood sport trap all right uh let's get into this week's
3: predictions with our own kyle cross kyle are you prepared as i will ever be let's do it
2: good now again unfortunately we don't know the order that these fights go in so i'm just going to go straight down the line starting from the uh easiest to the hardest um let's start off with the number one seed minotaur versus the number 32 seed fusion kyle your prediction
3: this is um man they this seeding doesn't quite seem fair but i guess with fusion season it does because these robots are a little bit more equally matched than you know one and 32 Uh, but that being said this is going to be a minotaur fight i'm going bold and going with the number one seed (laughs)
2: Good. How about the number four seed Hydra versus the number 29 seed Death Roll?
3: That one's a little bit closer as well. I am going to give it to Hydra. Um, I think that that's going to be a fun match, but Hydra is probably going to win that. And it would be great to have at least one non-vert left in the uh, rounds of 16.
2: Now, speaking of non-verts, we've got the number five seed Quantum versus the number 28 seed Ribot.
3: I do believe that will go to Ribot. Um, they they better turn it on by now. You know what I mean. If they're gonna if they're gonna start doing well this season, now's the time to do it. So I give it to them.
2: Okay, uh, on to the number eight seed Sawblaze versus the number twenty five seed
3: Blip. That is going to be a really close matchup. Uh, Flippers and Sawblaze don't get along very well. Um, that being said, I do think this is gonna go the way of Sawblaze just because ground game is going to be better on that side of the field.
2: Good. All right, uh on to a little bit of UK versus UK action here with the number nine seed Cobalt versus the number twenty-four
3: seed monsoon. Um I hope this goes the way of monsoon. I think that it would be really, really fun for those guys to um beat their heroes and move ahead a little bit i think that'd be cool so i'm gonna go with them all right awesome
2: cool uh three more here the number 12 seed
3: Ripperoni versus the number 21 seed black dragon this is gonna go the way of black dragon um oh yeah Ripperoni's doing great this year black dragon is it's fast it is fast and it is well driven and i do believe that they will be able to pull it out
2: Okay, um, two more left here. Number 13 seed, Beta, versus the number 20 seed, Whiplash.
3: Man, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to give it to Whiplash.
2: Okay, safe bet. I like it. And finally, the number 16 seed, Switchback, versus the number 17 seed, Malice. These uh, these two are basically seeded exactly the same.
3: Um, who do you think is going to come out on top? Congratulations to Switchback for uh being seated like middle of the pack in their second year. That's awesome. Heck
2: yes, they yes. they're
3: doing great. Like super proud of them and their development and progress. Like what a cool team. Um, I think that they have a really good chance of pulling this one out. So I'm gonna go with Switchback.
2: Right. Nice. Okay. All right. Now, if you think you're smarter than a Kyle, go to our Facebook page later today to send us your predictions. After the break, we'll return with our interview with Adam. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Shatter Captain Adam Wrigley. Adam and his friends have been building combat robots since 2008, rising to prominence with their heavyweight hammerbot Mega Melvin, which competed at Orlando Maker Faire and Robo Games in 2016 and 2017 before entering King of Bots the following year with a rebranded version of the robot called Blue. In 2019, they made their BattleBots debut with Shatter. We're catching up with Adam after his round of 32 fight, where Riptide again eliminated the robot from the championship. We're looking forward to taking a look back at the robot's latest season in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Adam.
4: Thanks for having me. Great to be here.
2: Adam, uh, the uh, the sound that you hear right now is, uh, you know, thousands of Behind the Bots fans rejoicing that we finally have a builder on with a real microphone, you know, not just uh, talking into a cell phone or, uh, you know, ancient desktop. You've got a, you've got a real studio mic. It's great.
4: <laughs> yes. This is the finest name brand Fi fine microphone from Amazon prime. Um, I'm happy it's, uh, it's working out today.
2: It's like, it's like you're sitting in my ear. It's like, so great. Uh, I love
4: it <laughs> you can okay, start a ASMR uh, channel maybe,
2: <laughs> right, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can whisper, you can whisper like, uh, parts, parts of this interview. It's perfect. Um, you know, but but before we start, I, I would love to <clears throat> get your history in the sport, you know, for people who haven't caught the last two or three interviews that we've had here on Behind the Bots, and then also really dive into your work behind the scenes because it's something that not a lot of fans know about. I think some fans uh, kind of have, Glimpses of, so I'd love to kind of talk a little bit more about that and your work with Crab. Um, I'll just say, like right at the top before we get into it, you know, um, it's it, it was a pretty common, uh, commonly known issue among the super fans. Um, so common that you know at the end of last season, um, we had a joint show with Revocast and we identified it as one of the the biggest things to fix at BattleBots was around builder pay um, and you know, your work with CRAB, the uh, the organization of builders, and, um, you know, the, the other volunteers who work there, totally unpaid work, has really improved the builder pay and the experience for the builders in season seven and hopefully beyond. Um, and that is huge. I mean, you've put in countless hours of unpaid work to help out your fellow builders. And I want to learn more about that and really celebrate that. Cause it's, it's huge. So, um, I guess before we even start, uh, thank you for, for everything that you've done there. Cause you know, you've really affected a lot of positive change, which, which is great.
4: Yeah. I mean, it was really the builders coming together and and working together to to make that happen. Um, so we're, we're really excited that we were able to, to push things forward on, on that front. Um, but uh, yeah, before before diving into to all that, um, if we back up to like why why am I even here? Um, back in 2000, I was sitting around and uh watching TV on PBS, and this show called Robot Wars from Britain came on, and I was like, "What is this show?" Um, and that really uh captured my attention. Um, and so all throughout high school, I was just obsessed with like combat robots. Um, I thought it was the coolest thing <clears throat> ever. Uh, it was just really awesome. And I just was online. I was playing Robot Arena. We were like making mod packs for it um, and stuff like that back on ace Link. And um, I even chose my college because they had a BattleBots team. Um, of course, by the time I went to college in 2003, they'd unfortunately canceled BattleBots. Um, so it was no longer on the air. Uh, and the BattleBots team didn't exist. Uh, when it came time for senior project, we were trying to make a robot for uh, Robo games, but we couldn't end up getting the budget for it. So my first robot that I actually built and competed with was a year after college in 2008, um, when I made a multibot, two 30-pounders that fought together as a lightweight and drove out to California with my friend Matt Boras, uh from Ohio. Meanwhile, I was in Massachusetts at the time. He had a middleweight Shell Spinner Bliss, We had a ton of fun at RoboGames, drove back, and then the whole economy sort of collapsed. (laughs) Um, After the economy collapsed, I couldn't really afford to uh, keep doing robots because I lost my job at the time, had to move um, back down to Jersey. Um, I was uh, sleeping in my friend's place for a while until I could get back on my feet. Once I got back on my feet, I was in New York City, and uh, there is no room to build robots in New York, uh, really. So... Um i at the time I think i was I was renting a room in in someone else's apartment, so I had nowhere to put any any robot stuff, so I took a little bit of a break from robots uh until twenty sixteen uh, like you mentioned, we got back into heavyweights, went down to Florida, my brother got into it with me and and we started building feathers again and and everything and um I had a little bit more space to store the robot in like the corner of my bedroom. Um, or sneak it around in, in the office at work, and and put it in somewhere where someone couldn't really see it, or or start using it as a decoration. And be like, yeah, this this robot, isn't it cool? We'll just leave it here. <laughs> um, and so you know, I still didn't have much space, but but we made it work. Uh, once the the reboot was on, um, and then yeah, you know, the the rest of the story is is. Is also very interesting, but it could detract the uh, the interview. But we fought in China, we fought in the U.S., um, we fought all over the country, and we've had a ton of fun with with the heavyweights and the and the featherweights since since then.
2: Yeah, I am interested in uh, kind of diving into crab a little bit. And first off, uh, I don't even know what the acronym stands for. I, I'm guessing it's <laughs> what combat robots at BattleBots. Is that right? So.
4: The acronym is a funny story because originally the acronym was RCBA, the Robot Combat Builders Association, um, but then we realized it could spell crab, and then <laughs> everyone just called it crab. Uh, so <laughs> it's the Combat Robot Association of Builders. Oh, but it's, it's, it's a hard acronym um, for sure because I mean crab is—it's just perfect. It's a perfect uh, yes, perfect one. Yeah, and there's so lots what of is crabby,
2: cra- crabby builders, you know, that yeah. are you know weighing in, sending you emails all the time. It's great, you know. Yeah, I mean, we we all know we're crabby. We we we're not going <laughs> to deny it. So fits. good. Uh, so what 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 does crab do? When 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 was it formed? And like, kind of, why why was it formed?
4: So basically, the 2021 season, um, we were all a bit frustrated. I, I think you know, production was frustrated, and we were frustrated, like. The first season in Vegas had a lot of, um, you know, difficulty with it. But there was also th- something that was coming to a head aside from, you know, the, the difficulties of having it in a new city, which was just that the show had taken off on the builder side for the past few years. My first year at BattleBots in 2019, I remember a team showed up with a couple chassis, right? There were a couple teams that had a couple chassis and everyone else was like, what? They've got like two robots already built up. One team had three and we're like, is that against the rules? That's crazy. These days, of course, you're showing up with two chassis or three chassis and they're going to be built up and you're going to be like ready to go and you're going to have so many spares and the robot's going to be able to take hit after hit after hit after hit. The spinner's not going to ever break, right? Like These are just kind of givens now, but to do this is like extremely expensive. And so the cost of competing at a mid to high tier, like just being able to compete for four fights, right? In the earlier shows, like it wasn't even expected to compete that many fights. If you were losing fights, you didn't have to keep going, right? So as we expand the number of fights, as we expand how much we expect people to dish out damage, it became extremely expensive. And uh, it was something I think took production by surprise. They just didn't realize how much money we were spending on these things. They didn't realize how most of it was coming out of our pockets, even when we have sponsors. And so a big part of the the impetus for this was to get a little bit more money for the builders so that we could make the sport sustainable because we want to put on a good show. We want to go out there and have the robots fight for three whole minutes of hard hits. But um, in order to afford it, uh, it wasn't just sponsors. We needed like a little bit more... Um, on the on the production side and so we were able to get much much better stipends for 2022 um that's where a lot of it came from but there was a lot of else other than than just trying to make the sport more sustainable for the builders um you know there was communication lines between builders and production so we're not so surprised um there was getting the rules to be more objective and fair there was getting the food to be a quality where you know we weren't getting sick um and stuff like that and And, you know, all this was a lot of it was just part of it being a new city. And a lot of it was just making sure we had a single line of communication so that production was aware of these things, Um, which is just really hard because um, 2021, the crew wasn't set up uh, as it had been in previous seasons, just again from changing cities. But 2022 was really good. We got the lines of communication in there um the food was amazing the stipends were up the rules were revamped with our with builder feedback to be more objective and um yeah it was a huge win for builders and and so basically crab was formed and uh, after that 2021 season to wrap it back to your actual question and we had elections and i was elected the president of crab um and so and there were a lot of other people that were elected um for like the the kind of committee that we had who would help vet things um but my major task was like talking with battlebots, negotiating the contract negotiating the rules um and running build, like polls to get builder attitudes to figure out what they wanted it took a lot of time i i joked that if i hadn't done that i think shatter would have been a lot better um <laughs> for, for <laughs> 2022 but um you know, we, we got a lot of progress, um, in there and everyone was a lot happier in 2022.
2: Yeah. 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 I, I was, I was in the pits in 2021 and then I was on a team in the pits in 2022 and it was the, the temperature and the building was just really different. The vibe was really different. You know, in 2021, I remember I was having a conversation with somebody who was like, just look around you, like, look at this, look at, look at the pits. There's like legitimately millions of dollars of robot components and parts here in the pits. And the vast majority of these millions of dollars are just coming out of the builder's pockets themselves. And there are some builders who are independently wealthy And there are others that are not. And like, I I have talked to builders before who said I saved up money to put a down payment on on a house and I found BattleBots and I used that money instead. (laughs) And I'm still (laughs) renting because I I decided to build a robot for a for-profit TV show that airs on a major cable network. And um, I've come back here year in and year out and like my sponsors just kind of give me discounts on their parts they don't even give me free parts and like um you know I'm I'm just an
4: engineer I don't know how to
2: how to negotiate better sponsorship deals and yeah. um
4: like we're in a tough like middle ground there where like you yeah. know we have teams that are very good at building robots and have very good jobs we don't have enough to you know, have every team have a marketing person to have every team have a sponsorship person, we're not at that level. So you have people who are engineers, they're trying to design a robot, deal with the logistics of ordering parts from overseas, so they can afford them, and then also trying to reach out to sponsors and run a social media page. And like, you know, a lot of teams don't necessarily have individual people doing all these things. It's, you know, one or two people trying to do all these roles. And, it is very difficult on on people, so as as much as we can ease it the the better and um I do want to say though, like Battlebots wants the builders to be happy right they they mostly this was a surprise to them because I think it happened fairly quickly, and the communication channels were in the past just like, yeah, we'll chat with the builders and they'll chat with us, and there were at this point like just too many builders too many opinions i think for production to easily kind of hear everything and and so what we really fixed between 2021 and 2022 was just you know the lines of communication i could listen to the builders hear the builders and offer a single point of um a, like uh what's the word i'm looking for here um single point of contact for negotiations uh because up until that point, like if Battlebots made a new contract, you know half the people will complain, half the people like it, they change it now the other half complain, and the first half like you know like you go back and forth and it's really difficult, but when you can get a single point of contact, I can listen to everybody and and try to find that compromise that can make the biggest majority of builders happier and can get it through on the production side, and we can come to that happy medium. I really think it's all about the communication which Battlebots was more than happy and willing to put up with, like or not even put up with, just deal like they really wanted to have that line of communication they really wanted to make it better for us and um and so that we we really work together. It wasn't like us versus battlebots. I don't want anyone to get that that sort of opinion. it was us working with Battlebots together
2: yeah yeah
4: i I, I think you know
2: the sincere hope among the fans and also I'm sure the builders is that, uh, all of the great changes that were made in 2022 are going to continue on into the future, you know, and I know that you can't talk about the stuff that you're talking about right now, if you're talking about anything. Um, but, um, you know, just know that it is seen, it's appreciated. And, um, you know, the work that you're, that you've done, um, has really improved things this past season and, um, just really kind of, taken a lot of the personal financial burden off of uh, well some of it you know uh, for for the builders of course the builders continue to uh, to, to use their own money you know to, to build their robots but you give a, a little bit less give a, builder,
4: which is good. give a builder more money and then they'll spend more money but you know yeah <laughs> yeah
2: um I I, I want to transition to talking about uh the controversy with a big T with a big C you know um I, I know that this happened you know, in October and you've had a, a while to think about it. Um, And I know that, you know, like, it's probably not super happy memories. Like I get that. And so like, I don't want to spend too much time on it. And I don't want to like talk about it uh, like in too much detail. I want to talk about in just the right amount of detail. How about that? Um, <laughs> And I think like for me, like as a journalist who covers Bots, um, I am chiefly interested in storytelling and like how they frame certain fights how they tell certain stories and i like to ask people you know um because you don't get to see the cut before it makes it on air you know like when you saw it last thursday i'm guessing it's probably the first time that you saw it you know um when you saw the cut like how did you Think that they kind of portrayed the the match, pre match, post match, you know, and what was the reality um for for that match?
4: Well, you know, I, I was kind of hoping they just wouldn't show any of the drama. I don't generally like being involved in lots of drama, but I figured they would show something. I was a little surprised at points of it. Um, I'll go through in a bit like where there were things just like that they showed that just didn't happen. So I was a little bit confused by the, the order of events as they showed them. I thought it was close. Like in terms of how much time they spent uh, to being similar to what happened, but I felt like some of the context that was removed was, you know, disappointing from, from my point of view. Um, But overall it, I mean it was an okay edit. It wasn't terrible uh if you if you have to show it. Um but you know I yeah. Yeah. But uh, oh, oh yeah, but it, I definitely don't see it beforehand, right? So some right. moments too I was yeah. like, I didn't know they had footage of that. <laughs> so, right, um, yeah. where where where's that camera?
2: Um, um yeah. so yeah, like um I, I'd love to to just kind of give you space to just tell your your you know version of events um here. And as much detail or as little details as you, as you want. And then I've got a couple of questions from the fans and then we're going to jump straight into your other robots. But um, you know, I, I, I would love to hear, you know, your, your, your story here um, yeah. with this and what you think BattleBots left out or put in or, or, or whatever.
4: Yeah. So um, just right off the bat, just everything, everyone is always wondering is like, you know, why didn't I shake their hand uh, at the end? And and that was purely because of the way that their post fight interview was conducted. I felt that what Ethan said was disrespectful toward me, toward my team, toward builders. Um some of it was cut uh out. Um and I wasn't happy with what he said. I felt that his handshake offer was not genuine and I didn't think it was worthy of reciprocation. To me a handshake is mutual respect. And I felt he didn't show that respect. He showed the hand, but there was no respect behind it. His commentary that he had just said was still standing in the air. And if he had said something like, Hey man, no hard feelings or sorry about that, you know, I I shouldn't have said that. If he'd done anything like that, I I would have shaken his hand right there. But, you know, he was standing there with his words and his hand out and I just, you know, I didn't felt that was that was worthy of reciprocation. So it had nothing to do with anything that happened pre-fight had nothing to do with the fight, which I thought was amazing. And maybe we can chat about that later because there's some cool stuff that happened in it. It was only the post-fight interview and the way he chose to, to address us. Um, But backing up a bit, we'll, we'll talk about how we, how we got there. Um, And, you know, this was a long time ago, right? This is seven months ago. So um, please forgive me if some of my details are a little foggy. Um, but, uh, I went through with my team and we chatted as, as much as we could about our order of of events, um, to get our story as, as good as possible. I've, I've seen a lot of stuff floating around online and there's a lot of stuff that aired on TV and, and, um, I want to quickly go through, you know, kind of how we got there, the parts that were a little bit inaccurate or left out, um, and, you know, some of the stuff that's, that's been floating around, but without spending too much time. So the first thing is we didn't think we were going to make the playoffs um, at all. We thought if anyone was going to make it, it would be Emulsifier. So figuring out that we were in was was great. We were so excited. It was one of those good news, bad news uh, calls. Um, we had stayed in the apartment, slept in a little bit. and Matt went in to work on Emulsifier and, and listened to the announcement. And uh, he calls us up and he's like, you made it. And we're like, what? And he's like, you're fighting Riptide. And we're like, oh. Right. Cause, um, you know, we're still, we still didn't have a really good setup um, for Riptide. And so um, we said, okay. And we, we immediately went in and started working on the robot. You can watch our pre fight. But as we're working on the robot, um, a lot of people were coming up to me. And the reason they're coming up to me was not just that I was fighting Riptide, but they were coming up to me because I was the president of Crab. If people on set have any concerns, any issues, they tell me and then I tell production and I maintain the uh, anonymous nature of the comments. Um, production also has Mike Jeffries, who is a builder liaison. He's like the, um, I'm blanking on the word, uh, but you know he works with production, listens to builders, um, does the appeal process, etc. So Mike Jeffries is kind of like production's um, single point of contact for builders. Uh, and I'm the sort of single point of contact on the other end, right? He's with production. I'm with builders. I'll talk to Mike a lot, but sometimes I'll talk to production without him there. Sometimes he'll talk to builders without me there. But we're each kind of like the single person on on either side of the table. Um, and if the builders talk to me, then no one on production knows who they are. They talk to Mike. You know, there's lack of uh, anonymous nature there. Uh, so in sometimes people will come to me instead. So people come to me with all sorts of issues. There was overflowing Pea River one day, right? So there, there's all sorts of little stuff people would tell me and I would go to production. I'd let them know. They would take care of it and and everything would be, um, would be good in the end. So people were coming up to me, not just because of Riptide as my opponent, but because I would be the person they'd have to come up to anyway to submit some sort of anonymous sort of uh, issue. And what they were saying were um, uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I relayed their concerns to production. Um, I didn't relay the concerns directly to Riptide because if I had Riptide could stop doing the things that they were, um, being accused of. Uh, and so in the, uh, like in the interest of fairness, uh, and objectivity to the competition, um, multiple people had told me things that they had firsthand saw. I went to production and told them what people told me. Um, I mean, basically it was stuff about the scale and it was stuff about tip speed. Personally, I don't think that they're over the tip speed limit. Um, I don't think they would get the hits they get if they were over the tip speed limit. But people were telling me that they sound different in the arena and they sound faster than when they do their... Sp- tip speed check Mm. and if multiple people tell me that i need to make production aware because 250 miles an hour is a safety concern it's not just like oh they're gonna hit harder and it's like a performance advantage it's a safety concern for the box the box has been physically tested when the weapons spin faster than 250 miles an hour there's a danger of the box being breached and so this is a serious safety allegation and i used to have the nickname osha (laughs) and so um, that's a big deal to me. So I told production about those allegations and the scale thing was like someone a few people said they saw people on Riptide's feet pushing up on the scale. Now, it's really hard to push up on a scale and hold it, right? That's a really hard thing to do. And maybe they were just sitting near the scale. I don't know. Um, but these things are, are getting told to me again firsthand, people saying I saw this happen. I tell production what they say they saw happen. Since I am also facing Riptide in the next fight, um, and the people telling me these things are my good friends, the things I asked of safety were, one, I would like them to be tip speed checked. Now, if they're really sandbagging it, of course, the tip speed is not going to find anything, but I figured better safe than sorry. And this is not normally a big deal. Um, I've tip speed checked multiple opponents before facing them. In fact, in 2021, the only way a robot would ever be tip speed checked was if the opponent requested it in the pre-fight and production had enough time to run the test so in 2021 i told production i was going to have all my opponents checked because i didn't want to be next to an arena where someone was over 250 and so uh fun fact um uh blacksmith is actually right at 250 wasn't expecting that (laughs) Wow! Um, so they're they're pretty fast yeah yeah um (laughs) But Riptide was well under. They did the test uh, the day before, as far as I know. Um, And again, it's never normally a big issue to do that. And it's totally normal for opponents to request a TIFF speed check um, from production. And they are happy to run it if they have time. Um, The other thing I requested was, let me see the weigh-in so I can just look and see if anyone's putting their foot on it. That's also not that uncommon. Tons of teams watch the other team weigh-in. Um, weight is a huge deal in BattleBots um, because one pound can be the difference between running forks or not, can be the difference between enough bolts to hold your top panel on or not, right? So one pound is a a huge deal Um, and everyone generally watches the scale. Not everyone, a lot of people watch the scale and asking to see the scale is not, again, not that crazy. Um, Those are the two things I did just to do my part to investigate the concerns that were raised with me in the easiest way possible um, in the lead up to this fight. So they weren't just rumors. They were like firsthand things people had told me, but there is a million reasons why they might have seen these things that may or may not be true, which is why I felt it prudent to just look into it a little bit. Um, but I wasn't accusing anyone of anything, and I still don't think they were over the tip speed limit. Um, now, the day of the fight, we go to the battery tent. um again, the battery tent for those unaware is this big tent that just has the batteries in it and the scales. You can't have batteries in the pits for the robot. Um, You put the batteries in, in the battery tent, you weigh it, and then you bring it out to the um, arena. Um, There's a very specific um, rule about this process um, as well. Uh, Basically, as soon as you start the process of your official weigh-in, you're not allowed to like change the robot. so it's sort of a big official deal. The way it normally works is is pretty simple. You will get your robot ready ahead of time. You'll weigh it probably a dozen times trying to get it to the right weights. And once you are at the right weight, you will have call production and say you're ready to do your pre-fights um inspection. Uh you'll do the weigh-in and then you'll go out to the arena and do a little function test where you just twitch the drive, you twitch the weapon, and you bring it back, and you either sit in the battery tent if, um, if it's early, or you go out into the arena and you sit in the arena and wait um, if it's pretty close to your fight. And then you go in, you fight, you leave. But you don't touch the robot um, after you weigh it. There are very few instances in which you would be working on the robot after weigh-in. Um, some people will weigh a few parts, um, and they might keep the lid off and some bolts off, Um, We did that one time and we were trying to run um, receiver batteries instead of a BEC because we were having receiver issues, but our batteries were small. So we asked permission from production, like, hey, can we plug this battery in at the last minute and bolt the tops on? And they said, sure, just weigh everything, show us what you're weighing, and then do it in front of somebody when you're in the tunnel. Um, We also told our opponents we were doing that because it's very uncommon to be screwing something on your robot in the tunnel. Um, but everyone's generally fine with those things as long as you tell them ahead of time. So you will sometimes see people weighing a robot, some parts, some bolts, um, if they've told production, um, the rule, uh, that I'm trying to pull up this, uh, note that I had that had the, uh, specific rule in it. Um, ah, here we go. It is rule number 5.6.4 pre-match inspection prior to its match. A robot will be tested for functionality and also weighed to confirm compliance with the regulations. Once a pre-match inspection of a robot starts, no changes are allowed to be made. To that, to the robot, that involve the addition of any parts that affect the weight or functionality of a robot. Removal of parts may be allowed if during or after inspection a part is found to be faulty or damaged. BattleBots officials may allow replacement of that part with a structurally and functionally identical part. And so uh, that's the rule. Pretty simple. Um, you can't change a robot. This is actually instituted to prevent, um, like... Uh, people with multiple configurations from building up two robots and, and constantly like switching the parts and delaying production. Right. It was, it was about saving time basically. Um, but you're not allowed to touch a robot or, and do anything to it after weigh in unless again, you make it obvious beforehand and get, and get permission. So we come into the tent and um, in our version of events, we see them, and they're working on the robot in the tents. And we asked mm. uh, production, and they say they had already weighed in. In Riptide's version of this, um, we walked in and just asked them to reweigh, uh, and they weren't working on the robot. I don't know which version of this is true, um, or not. Uh, but we did request they reweigh. Uh, we hadn't seen their first weigh in. There was no photo of the first weigh in, um, and at least. I believe that I saw them working on the robot while we were in the battery tent. They deny the working on the robot part. We uh when we requested they reweigh, they said, okay, we'll reweigh if you also reweigh. Cause at that point we had already weighed in as well. Mm. Um so we both reweighed our robots and they both weighed the same. So Riptide was 250, then they put it on the scale the second time when we saw it, it was two fifty again. Uh, Shatter was 249. And then we put it on the scale again. It was 249. All this happened before anything that you saw on TV. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, cool. Um, We're all underweight. Uh, And we go into the arena and uh, we hear that Riptide is working on the robot again in the tunnel. And we're like, what do you mean they're working on the robot in the tunnel? Um, like, isn't production like looking or watching There's normally production people around near the arena and, um, we go over and they're like duct taping stuff on the robot, like uh, tons and tons of duct tape. And there's like four or five people bent over the robot. Um, and I think, you know, one of my teammates saw that came back and then, um, Eric heard about it and walked over and that was a scene you saw on camera. So that was actually after we'd already seen it. Um, and then he comes up, uh, or after one of our teammates has seen it, he came up and we're like, what are you doing? Right? Like, what is all this duct tape on the robot? And for those unaware, a ton of teams will duct tape stuff on their robot when they face us. Like it's quite common for people to tape armor on, not always on battle bots, but a ton of people do that in non-televised events, um, to just get as much armor on the robot as possible. So when we see someone duct taping something on it is at least slightly suspicious to us. We asked production and we asked safety what they were doing. And the answers that we heard were nobody knew what they were doing. Um, And since then, I've seen online, they made a comment where they said, well, maybe we should have told production before we did that. And I would agree with that. I, I think a lot of what has happened here are like communication issues. If you're going to do anything on your robot, you have to tell production ahead of time. Now, after we caught them doing this in the tunnel without having told anyone what they were doing, they started to say, well, you know, it was it was just for the walkout. We just wanted to make the robot look more like Shatter. Now, the thing about this pre-fight situations is like everyone is always on like got high emotions. Everyone's got like adrenaline. They're nervous. They're excited. Um, And so stuff is always happening in these pre-fights. and people are very, very competitive as well. Everyone's competitive and this is the playoffs. And so I said, maybe that makes sense, but I'd like you to reway again because I don't know if I believe you because it's weird to do that without telling anyone. And I don't know exactly how I phrased this at the time, but um, that was the, the gist of it was like, you came up with an excuse after you got caught, but... I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if you were doing anything else. That was a weird thing to do. It was a lot of duct tape.
1: Right. Um,
4: so then we asked them to reweigh it. And that you saw on TV. They went, they reweighed, and then they weighed 248. I see people online saying, you know, the BattleBot scales are inaccurate. And that has a bit of truth to it. There's two scales one scale is black, one scale is yellow. The yellow scale is funky. Sometimes the yellow scale was a few pounds under. Um, due to some finickiness about it. It was never overweight. And the black scale was generally very accurate. Um, After the round of 32, they stopped using the yellow scale entirely. But um, the scale they weighed in at 250 on and the scale they weighed in at 248 on were both the black scale. And the black scale has never been two pounds off. We checked if they had a safety in, in one and not in the other photo, and it looked the same to us. The safety was removed in both. So I still think it's weird. Is it possible that scale decided at that point to be two pounds light? I guess. But at the end of the day, it was under 250. So really at the time, I just didn't care anymore. I was like, I really wish they would just stop touching the robot um, and we could get this fight going. Um, But it was under 250, so we didn't really care. Production came up to us and said... They really were safety rather the safety people came up to us and said they really wanted to speed check um, Riptide uh, the thing about this whole situation is I wasn't there um so on TV in the edit they show me going, well, that's weird that never happened like I was in another room I was in the battery or I was in the main tent I wasn't in the battery tent I was near the arena um because I was just with shatter standing near the arena waiting for them to come back after the weigh in. And, um, that video of me saying that's weird was taken from like somewhere else in the battery tent. I think I was probably looking at emulsifier drive issues or something. Um, so it was complete, I'm not even wearing the same clothes. I don't think, so I don't know why they showed me saying that, but I wasn't in the tent at that weigh-in. Uh, my, like Mary was there, but I was not there. Um, so I didn't see their final weigh-in. Um, and they asked, uh, one of my teammates if they wanted riptide to spin check again and uh this uh, we didn't really want to do it but production the safety people said we we really want to run it right now so we said fine whatever run it riptide said they didn't want to do it because then they'd have to recharge their batteries again so then um someone asked me what i thought and i said let's just do the fight i'm tired of delaying this fight like i don't want to do it, delay the fight so there was no spin check done directly before the fight there was one that we requested. I heard them say they actually did two, one the day before and one earlier in the day. I'm not sure. I know that we requested one and they passed it. But the one right before the fight was production saying they wanted to do it. The safety people wanted to do it. And when Riptide said, no, we said, fine, don't do it. Um, at the end of the day, I if they were sandbagging, I don't think the spin check would matter. I don't think they were spinning over 250 personally. I... And so I just wanted to make sure they were under the weight limit and not doing anything funky. I still think it's really weird that they weighed less. I think it's really weird they were working on the robot in the pits and taping it up. Um, If the rules were more objective, that is a disqualification regardless of what you're taping to the robot. Um, But that's not how BattleBots works. That's not what happened. They were under 250 and I was happy to go in and have a fight um, and get it over with. Uh, and so that's pretty much the gist of the, the pre-fight stuff. Um, yeah. It's no. uh
2: it's like that kind of nuance that gets lost uh, on a reality TV show, you know? And like um, it's the nuance that's so important because it's, you know, it,
4: It's, it's a, now it's now a chapter in your BattleBot story, you know? Yeah. And and I understand it took me a long time to explain all that, right? (laughs) You can't show all that on TV. I don't know why you need to edit me into somewhere I'm not. And I don't know why you need to pretend that a spin check was forced on them right before the fight when, when it didn't end up happening. And it wasn't even us who requested that. Like we did request a spin check the day before and everything was fine and then they leave out the part where they asked us to weigh again as well so it's like yeah we did ask them to reweigh but they also asked us to reweigh earlier um and so you know there was a little bit of back and forth that got cut out of it and i thought that was weird but at the end of the day all the stuff like I, I didn't think it mattered that much the robot wasn't going to get disqualified for that it was under the weight limit it would pass the spin check like Please follow the rules. Please stop touching the robot. But, like, let's just go in and, and fight. I, I, I think a lot yeah. of it is, is communication, you know? Like, if you just tell production, you tell the other team, you tell safety what you're doing, um, then everything ends up fine. Uh, There was a lot of miscommunication going back and forth all over the place. And I think that ensuring a fair fight is what everyone should do and generally is what everyone does do. Um, People spin check before fights all the time as well. It's not actually that weird to have a spinner spin check right before a fight. So even that wasn't that odd. Um, But, uh, you know, as I I know, like people are in a rough spot in the pre-fight and usually none of this stuff ever gets brought up. We've had tense pre-fights with other teams uh, in all sorts of events. And, at the end of the day, we shake hands and we're friends and we all go have a beer down at the pub and have a good time and laugh about it and do it again the next day. Um, so to rewind back to you know, the handshake at the end, um, when they showed Ethan's interview, I remember it being a lot longer than they showed on TV and I remember a lot more being said. I don't know exactly what it was, um, but I've seen other people who were there have a similar reaction. The reason I didn't shake his hand is that he personally insulted me, my team, and the builders as a whole within his interview. I just don't shake hands with people who have literally just insulted me on national TV like a minute before. Right. <laughs> right. Um yeah. so that was what it is. I, I feel like everything that happened is just kind of the buildup to a fight. Like, okay, you touch let's just reweigh it. Right? Okay, yeah. like can you do a spin check the day before? Cool. Like these are generally normal requests some of it was inspired by again like first person accounts of things that people had seen that i wanted to just check on to ensure like the sanctity of the competition but they weren't unfounded and they were from multiple different parties and felt worthy of being checked on um and even if there was nothing being said asking someone to spin check and asking to see the weigh-in are again like totally normal requests that people do all the time um and right. i do all the time i'm always asking people to spin check and i'm always there for weigh-in so yeah this is um uh, this is the, the the level of detail of
2: this context is great and i think like it's really important that you know you had the space to to tell it it was so funny it's like you know i went into this thinking my God, Adam's not going to want to talk about this at all, but, um, you know, you really kind of described it all. So I really appreciate well, that.
4: Yeah. Um, Hopefully I don't open up another can of worms. Cause my intent yeah. is like, you know, like yeah, right. I, there's a lot of detail in there. It was seven months ago. I'm sure some of my detail is not a hundred percent correct. And like I said, like all that stuff, like them getting mad at me for requesting it. It's like, you know, I get that people are, are mad in the moment. I get that there's a lot of adrenaline going on. I get, that we're all competitive people and we all want to win i wasn't asking those things because i was trying to catch them cheating i was asking those things because i wanted to ensure the fight was fair and once we got them weighed in despite the fact that i was a little weirded out by the way it happened i was like they're under 250 it doesn't matter like mm-hmm. let's just get it in the arena and so right. we portrayed differently as like that wasn't my intent and that wasn't how we acted and so that part of the edit that made it look like we're just trying to catch them like we're not trying to catch them we're just trying to ensure a fair fight right yeah Yeah, that was the gist of it yeah um adam we now have a problem uh we're we're 40
2: minutes into the interview and i have yet to ask a single fan question and we have like eighty of them. Okay. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Well, you can cut like... Did, like, everything I said before. So oh, good. Yes. Okay. Good. All right. I'm I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna be you know bad about production. And I'm gonna just cut into the just the most uh, controversial parts. This is perfect. Yeah. Um. Okay. Good. Um. So yeah, I guess if we if we take sixty seconds per uh, per question here, uh, we'll get out of here. Uh. You know, before tomorrow. But um. Also, I would say feel free to go deep on any of these that inspire you. Cause there are some really, really great questions here from the fans and just the volume of questions and the curiosity that people have about your robot really shows exactly how popular it is. Um, so I want to you know, give you the space for all of that. Um, okay, so I have just a couple of questions here about the Riptide fight, and then we're going to get into questions about your robots. So um, we got a question here from Jesse Mullen, who writes, we heard Eric after the fight ask about the tip
4: speed again. Is there any process to evaluate that once a match is finished? Yeah, so I do know that they got some sort of acoustic um, RPM checking tool uh that should be able to live tell rpms i don't know what they did with it um i heard that they never recorded someone going over with it i don't know if it was something they did the continuously for every minute of every fight i don't know if they just spot checked people um but i I know they did end up doing some sort of acoustic thing but i don't know how uh, i don't know uh much about it um, but I know that they never recorded anyone over I just don't know how often they recorded people right uh, good question here from Sumi Um I don't know
2: and feel free to say no comment that's totally fine too um, Sumi writes uh, you gave great answers in relation to the friction surrounding your match would you hope that Ethan Kurtz could learn something from the post match ex- exchanges between most other teams and if so what
4: yeah I mean <sighs> I just think that he takes things a bit too far sometimes. And he's been doing it maybe a bit more than I would um I would. So, you know, and everyone has their own style, but I I don't think personal attacks are necessary. Um and I think he's he's crossed the line a few times this season uh for me.
2: Yeah. Reagan Bachelor writes, Hey, Adam and Team Bots FC. I'm not, I'm not sure if you get this a lot, but the Shatter team has helped me a lot on the BattleBot subreddit. And I wanted to thank you and your team for all the effort you give in helping advance the sport and put on some entertaining fights. So good note there, Reagan. Um, Reagan asks, there seems to be a difference between drama and controversy on TV versus drama and controversy behind the scenes. Do you think BattleBots has the tendency to either overplay or undermine the controversy that's happening, um, you know, that's actually happening?
4: I mean, I, you know, the, I think the Builder's, the Builder's drama that Builder's like is like getting the robot ready in time, repairs, damage, like talking with each other after the fight, when when we're looking at each other's robots and, There's a lot of interesting stuff that happens in those moments. I I don't think that builder community loves like personal drama. It's not interesting Mm. to us. And so we don't generally want to do that. Um, I think BattleBots likes a little bit. Maybe they like a bit more of the personal drama. I don't know. Um, You know, a TV show has to be interesting to viewers, Um, but, uh, I sure find more drama and and interest in the, in the building of the robots than the, uh,
2: the other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Final question from Reagan. I've heard lots of people online worrying that Riptide's controversies will quote unquote destroy BattleBots with most saying that the show will lose fans or builders if Riptide is allowed to get away with their shenanigans in the future. What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Well, I certainly hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) good okay good um okay transitioning here uh i'm gonna ask a couple questions about your robots at nhrl uh just because uh i couldn't figure out a a seamless way to fit them into everything else about shatter um so uh yeah apologies for the awkward transition um a couple of questions here uh NHRL superfan, bad about superfan, Ryder Langle, um, asks here on Discord, knockoff white versus depth charge was such a super destructive fight. What was the repair <laughs> process like to come back from that? So a little bit of context for people who haven't seen that fight. Uh, knockoff white is your walking hammer bot, so 45-pound walker at NHRL, or I guess you can you can weigh up to 45, I guess, with the rule set. And then depth charge is Dustin S. Wine's um, 45 pound bristle, uh, dual horizontal, just an absolute beast. It's like a horizontal version of deep six. Um, and your fight was just super explosive. I was lucky enough to call that fight myself. I was sitting on the announcing desk and it just looked like a tornado had gone through a, uh, a Walmart, you know, there were just <laughs> pieces everywhere. Um, so uh, rider langle you know, was curious about the repair process after that fight.
4: Okay. Depth charge versus knockoff weight was crazy. Um, absolutely nuts fight. Uh, not exactly what we wanted to do. <laughs> um, I think uh, when we were firing the hammer, our wedge was hopping off and catching them and it was just an insane. Uh, they were coming down on top of us, coming down from the side. So the repair process for the next fight was pretty simple. We just went to the second robot that we brought. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, you know it, we did end up repairing the depth charge robot um for a, another fight later um but for the immediate fight after that we we just switched to our our second chassis um but it was it wasn't completely wrecked um the internals were pretty fine um basically we had to change the shafts out the bearings out um the the feet a lot of like, so basically the, the feet were pretty wrecked. The bearings were pretty wrecked and the shafts, but we had spare shafts. We had spare bearings. We had spare feet. So we just kind of rebuilt the, the drive bits. Um, there, I think I had to get out a spare top because the top had, had gotten a huge gash in it actually when they came down from above one time. But, um, you know, it, it took some time. We, we had the decent pit crew that, that, uh, competition for, uh, for a feather tournament. So, we were able to get it rebuilt before we needed it again. Yeah, good. Uh,
2: Ivan Yang wants to know: Is Knockoff White coming back? And if so, what changes are going to be made to the
4: robots? Well, we're certainly hoping to bring it back. Um, I actually thought that it was working really well last season, um, and you know, we were a little bit disappointed in the in the decision when we lost. But it is it is what it is um so there's not a ton of changes i think we need to make it's mostly just uh working on the forks we we don't really have a set of good forks for knockoff white yet and um we're just going to try and get them into a better a better place so um yeah new forks but we're hoping to be back maybe even in um the next one that's coming up we'll see nice
2: june exciting okay good um I've got a couple of many, many questions, actually, (laughs) from the fans about your components, your weapon and your drive on Shatter. So uh, we can rapid fire these because there are just so many of them. Um, So first, Elaine Milton asks, did you have any of the VESC issues that hit a bunch of other robots this season? And then also, do you use brushed
4: or brushless components in Shatter and Emulsifier? Well, yeah, so um, we didn't have any VESC issues because we don't use VESC. Um, (laughs) We use um, all brushless motors. Uh, Right now, the robots are using entirely Castle motors and Castle electronics. We run the uh, 2028 um, motor, and we run the XLX2 controllers um, for all of the bits. Um, There are four of each in Emulsifier, and there are six of each in Shatter um castle if you're listening please sponsor us um <laughs> because i'm going to go broke buying all of these components uh but um we did run into a finicky issue on emulsifier that we have still not gotten exactly to the bottom of um you could see it a few times this season where it just kind of stopped um if we reset the radio it will come back to life but it's not a radio mm. issue um because swapped out pretty much all the radio components and did tons of troubleshooting there. We can't recreate it on the bench. It's not just jamming the stuff because we've bench top jammed things and they work. What we think it might be is that when you're running the motor in censored mode and you bring it up to speed and then it jams while up to speed and immediately comes to a halt that that seems to just reset the controller And the controller won't work again until the radio signal resets. But we haven't been able to test that benchtop because it's somewhat dangerous to just jam a motor up at full speed. But um, so no vest issues, all brushless. But we did have some sort of finicky issues that we're not sure of yet. Hmm,
2: interesting. Um, transitioning over to questions about your weapon, um, Heather Stringfellow asks, well, she writes, first of all, if you need someone to peel all the plastic off the pieces of shatter at the top of the season, I volunteer as tribute. Second, <laughs> could you go into detail about the different hammers you have in your arsenal and how you determine which one to use in each match?
4: Well, we might need to take them up on that offer for the the triangles there's a lot of work that goes into those uh, those triangles Good. um but, uh, yeah, the weapon. So, basically, there, there is some confusion online about, like, why don't we use the Mary Special more? Um, the Mary Special is not an anti-spinner weapon. Um, it's an anti-belt weapon. Exposed belts and chains. So, if we're going up against a weird robot that we don't know if we're going to be able to pierce anything, but they've got a lot of exposed belts and chains, namely Mammoth. Like, we, we made it in response to our Mammoth fight because, like, if we had a weapon like that, then we thought we would have done better. Um, so we made it in response to that fight, and we use it whenever we see someone with exposed belts and chains um, because we have multiple points that can potentially um, hit one of them. When we're going up against a spinner that's well-armored um, and we want to be able to pierce them and throw the the hammer into the weapon, then we run what we call new Rusty. That's what we ran in the Riptide fight. Um, it's a heavy hammerhead that's shock-mounted um, in every direction except the direction that we pierce in. So all our force goes into the opponent, but if they hit us in any other direction, it can flex and has gigantic bolts holding it on. Um, Those bolts go through some um, bushings and basically the whole head can, can bend out of the way if we come down on a vertical spinner, as opposed to previous seasons when the hammerhead would come off, like against Witch Doctor um, and, and others. So you can see that hammerhead working against Riptide. You can see it working against Deep Six. It's really great at being able to just jam it into spinners, and it's decent at, at puncturing as well. In the Riptide fight, we were actually really close to hitting one of their motors. We left a big hole in the top um, and got really deep. Uh, they, they showed it on the uh, Wayachi stream. Um, and we were about like maybe a half inch away from from taking out their weapon motor, so it was very very close. Um, but it has good power, good pierce, um, good shock absorption. The new um hammer, uh, Paul Surprise is a single piece hammer like the Mary Special, so you can't really completely um tear off the hammer head because it's it's one part. Um, but it's also designed with that sort of curve on the other side, so like maybe if we did go up against a vertical spinner it just wouldn't be able to get as much of a bite anyway just kind of ricochet off that that curve um it was designed with generative ai to be um very flexible and off axis hits um but very very strong and lightweight uh and it's really designed for piercing and to be very fast it's it's a lightweight hammer um so it can fire quickly and have less hop um, so fast, lightweight, piercing can probably take spinner hits okay, but it's not going to be as good as the heavier, um, slower like new rusty hammer. We also have little rusty, which is like an old school design, uh, where the hammer is bolted on from above. It Doesn't have any shock absorption, um, but is a it can really it's got a really far amount that it can pierce. It's a very long hammerhead. Again, it's fast. Um, but it's not gonna be great at absorbing impacts um and so basically uh little rusty the upgraded version is like the Paul surprise um and maybe you'll see the Paul surprise upcoming in uh in the uh that uh, golden bolt thing very cool.
2: Uh, We got some related questions from Corium9 on Discord, and uh, Corium just asked some really thought-provoking ones here, I think. Um, Corium writes, I was wondering about hammerhead design. I've noticed a curved beak shape is not used amongst the current hammer bots. Chomp and maybe Mad Catter, I think, was the last to use it. Given the inherent swing of hammers, would this be more optimal, a curved hammer design?
4: Well, they will love the Paul surprise. Then um, that's the hammer we took our photos with for 2022, um, and it does have a, a curved beak-like design. I would say so. Um, we think it's pretty cool. Uh, we didn't use it this season. We just didn't see a optimum opponent for it, but um, yeah, it, cool. you know, it's all about optimization. You know, the Mary special is is great for a robot like huge where we're just trying to catch belts and then uh the the new rusty was great for spinners where we're trying to absorb impacts. Um and we just didn't quite have the right one for the Paul surprise. But um maybe uh maybe later. Yeah. Um Corium asks,
2: what ways might improve hammer accuracy? Perhaps something in between Chomp's autonomous sensor and just a visual signal like Hydra's light that says the opponent is in range.
4: Yeah, I mean I think we just need to stop missing, right? But um <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I think we were off the season um in a lot of ways. we were very busy, we're up late, we're tired, um, you know, everyone is. Uh and so we just, I think we got it all dialed in for the Riptide fight. We had some great yeah. shots there. The driving I thought was pretty good. We moved well. I mean, until the robot started, you know, becoming less than flat. But uh, the the rest of the season, we just had so many bugs. Uh, you know, like our wheels were jamming themselves because the pins were coming out, um, and we just couldn't move predictably. I couldn't know where I was going to go. So how was Eric supposed to figure out when to fire the hammer? But once we got the robot moving in a predictable manner, then we could work more like we usually do. And we got the hits that we usually get. So I attribute most of the missing just due to my drive being bad. I couldn't get the robot where I wanted it to go. And progressively through the fight, it would just get worse and worse. Um, And how is anyone supposed to aim when the robot's not going where it's supposed to go?
2: Mm. One last question here from Corium, um, and they write, Randomly, I saw a video on over-center mechanisms and wondered if anyone has tried a spring assist for hammers.
0: So
4: a spring assist in hammers is interesting because, um, you know, you could you could use it to get more power in the fourth swing than on the back swing. Mm -hmm. um but in general and this this kind of relates to the former question too i like and the team likes like we all sort of like just like keep it simple now i know our robot has a lot going on um but when it comes to like adding more than than what we have we we just try to reduce it as much as possible anything you add is one more thing to break so could we put a, a spring in there sure but like i could just put a more powerful hammer in there right? I don't like, it's all a weight game. And so is the weight of a spring worth it versus just putting another motor or a bigger motor or more, more batteries? Um, that's what it all comes down to. And, and the more simple it can be, the beefier, all those simpler components can be and the longer they the last. Um, so that's, that's why we haven't gone into anything like that. However, I love when other people do crazy stuff like that. It looks cool. And then uh, every so often, one of them works really well. Um, like Aaron's crazy kinetic energy flipper. <laughs> so
2: maybe the spring yeah. is the thing. Nick Volcano uh, asks, have you ever considered going to a more dead blow esque style of hammer with rapid short swings instead of 180 degree giant swings? What would the advantages and disadvantages of that be?
4: And the challenges of adapting the current shatter to that style? Yeah. So shatter had um, basically three inspirations when we were making it. Um, and deadblow was was one of them. Uh we wanted to have um sort of the power of like the judge, that power and fear that the judge inspired. We wanted to have the rapid ability of deadblow to fire the hammer and we wanted to have like the maneuverability of John Reed's robots, um like uh killerhertz um for example. Um and we felt if we could combine all those things, then that would really make us the best of the best in, in the hammer category. Um, and so we've always aimed to fire the weapon a lot. I think this season we haven't been firing it a lot. Uh, Dead blows hammer speed was very high. I, I think maybe too high to really do much damage. Back then, getting that many hits would get you like a lot of points so they could win judges decisions by the amount of hits they were getting even if the hits didn't mm. do much um these days even at the uh like power that we have it's we need a lot of hits to get damage but if we lower the power any further i just don't know if it would do anything at all so um there's like a minimum level of of power you need and basically with a hammer the less swing you have the less power you get especially with an electric hammer it's just like we just need time to put the energy into the, into the hammer. And you could see this against um, Huge. Huge is so tall that we were only getting half a swing, um, the beginning half before we would hit them. Without the downward half, it just wasn't enough power to do much. I mean, we could cut off their their side like uh, balance tube and, and we hit a belt, but we weren't going to do anything to their chassis because they were just so high in the air. Um, and yeah, it's really just a balance, right? Everything's a balance. So we love the speed of Deadblow and then we always aim for that. I mean, we did get over I think 60 fires in a fight um one time. Awesome. Uh, and so we we can fire it very rapidly, but it's not often that the the robot stays still enough for you to get that many fires in. Um but we can fire and recycle in under a second. So um yeah.
2: <laughs> Um, Sable is Captain Jameson Go. Uh, you know, he's a new and upcoming builder. You know, I've, I hear he's got (laughs) a lot of promise. Uh, he has a related question, you know, I guess physics question. Uh, what ideas do you have in the future for countering the hop that all hammer bots have?
4: Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I I think we can see that, uh, John Reed has basically solved that. And the answer is a lot more magnets than shatter currently has. Hmm. Um, Shatter's issue is we can't put too many magnets or we overload the, um, mecanum wheels and the rollers. Um, the flip side of that is then we hop and then we fall on them and we break the rollers anyway. So it's a sort of a catch 22 situation there. Um, there are people who say you can use a counterweight, um, on the hammer arm. And while that is true, that a counterweight will reduce the hop. It won't actually completely eliminate the hop in the same way that, um, a big car. If you uh can pull a wheelie, right? It's kind of a similar idea. Even if we had a perfectly balanced hammer, if we put massive amounts of force into it, we'll basically do a reverse wheelie. Um, uh, sort of idea here. So, um, you can still uh, you'll still hop, but less so with a counterweighted hammer. And the counterweighted hammer will weigh significantly more and be significantly less durable than a offset non-counterweighted hammer. So, um, it's all, it all comes down to weight, right? If you can put that much weight into a counterweight, it's probably more efficient to put it into the, into the magnet system instead of the counterweight. Um, so, you know, we've thought a lot about that. The magnets are catch 22 if you're using permanent magnets, cause they can catch debris which we had happen in shatter fights this year. We also had happen in emulsifier fights. We got stuck on top of Quantum's tooth. We got stuck on top of a bolt in the malice fight. Um, And that's why in both those fights, we stopped moving at the end. We lost one side of drive in both those fights. And the side that worked was propped up by debris on the the magnet at the end of, of both of those fights. So it it is frustrating to see stuff like that happen. So, you know, we are investigating, like, more magnets, bigger magnets, stuff to keep debris off the magnets, electromagnets, all all sorts of things are are in there. And I think John's shown that's that's the way to reduce the hop. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. um, Ryan Hunter, who helps run pit control at NHRL, uh, he asks Chat GPT to come up with good questions <laughs> for each of the builders. And uh I'm I'm constantly uh impressed by Chat GPT's ability to be a better human interviewer than me. So uh you know Chat GPT's a, come up with a good
4: one. Is this GPT 3.5 or GPT four? It's I don't know. I've
2: got to, I've got to ask right. Ryan. I don't know. This right. this seems like a pretty cutting edge question. So right. uh maybe maybe he's got early access to four it's good um so uh he so chat asks how do you balance the need for mobility with the weight and power requirements of the hammer mechanism
4: yeah um i think i i'm trying to figure out how to answer this the way we went about it was um we think of the i mean the whole thing as a system right everything affects everything else um, and the whole thing needs to be repaired, uh, in the pits. Um, and one of the things that we considered strongly in building shatter was interchangeability of parts. So the motors and controllers, um, that are used on the hammer are the same as what are used on drive. So we just sort of said, okay, if we're going to use this motor and we're going to do mechanum wheels. We need one per wheel. And then on the weapon two should be good enough. Um, just looking at how much power we could put into it and what was necessary to, to move a hammer of approximately the right amount of weight. And then you just kind of design the whole robot around that idea. Um, so could we put more power in the weapon or more power and drive or less power and drive? Like, I think there are potential ways to make it more weight efficient one way or the other, but then we would lose the interoperability of the motors and and gearboxes in the different parts. And that would drastically increase our spare costs because instead of having one pile of motors, gearboxes and controllers, now we need to have two. Um, And we're not sure if we're going to lose more drive or lose more weapon. Um, So you need more of each um, to account for the, the lack of a, of a singular supply. So, you know, It it was just sort of a balancing act. We started with like, this is the motor that we want to use. This is the motor that we've proved. It works well. We like it. Um, There's enough power for drive. And then how many can we fit in the weapon, right? It was just, if we could have fit more, we probably would have put more, but uh, that was the max that that could fit
2: um transitioning over here to questions about the drive um Rider Lee angle asks uh shatter runs mechanic wheels emulsifier runs treads knockoff white is a shuffler what did regular wheels do to you for you to hate them <laughs> so much
4: so we have run in the past robots with regular wheels um bliss the shell spinner uh in 2008 that ran regular wheels um the 30 pound bots that made up the 60 pound robot um Xenogenesis, those ran regular wheels. Um we had a 30 pounder that was a it was two fifteen pounds multi-bot wedge bot called Boom Boom that ran gigantic um RC truck wheels. Um they were really big. It was a hilarious robot if you look it up. Um our six pound robot driving practice runs regular wheels. And in fact, at NHRL, all of our mini bots run uh, regular wheels, a lot of foam wheel mini bots um, in, in there. So, you know, we use a lot of regular wheels. We just also love using not regular wheels cause it's fun. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, Speaking of non-conventional locomotion, Alex Pick, who runs Zane at NHRL. Zane, of course, doesn't have wheels. It's uh, droopy-esque, kind of dual horizontal. Um, Alex writes, Shatters had some drive issues this season, and I think you've said they were related to ESC braking. However, other teams like Whiplash don't use braking at all. Is this difference in necessity for the uh, Mechanum wheels or a difference in drive
4: styles? Yeah. Um, this is a really good question. I'll try not to keep my answer. Like I'll try to keep it less than like 45 minutes long. Um, so the, the thing with shatter is if we don't have the breaking on, you can just push it like yourself in any direction. If you went up to whiplash without the breaking on and went to push it, you could only push it forward and backwards. Um, And it's similar with uh, even two-wheel drive robots. Um, Although two-wheel drive robots are easier to push in more directions, you still can't push them sideways, right? There's some resistance to some things. And that resistance in certain axes gives you a little bit of control authority um, that you can kind of rely on uh, a bit. You know, like, which ways you're not going to go. With Shatter, the way I like in driving it is it's sort of like driving a hovercraft, if I let go, I just keep going whatever the direction was I was going. That could have been sideways. That could have been rotating. The robot will just keep doing whatever the heck it was doing, and I let go. Um, and the way I talk about driving it is it's more like I'm guiding it in the right direction. It kind of goes where it wants to go, and I like kind of correct it to go uh, where I want it to go. Um, and that worked really well when I ran the robot at 6S. Um, 6S means uh, six cells of of voltage. Um The controllers can go up to 8S though, so higher voltage, higher speed, higher power. And after the 2021 season, I felt that we were too slow. I felt that people were getting around me and that the increased mobility that I had was not enough to counter for the increased speed of opponents. It was the first season I felt slow. Now, we've been progressively making Shatter faster with other reasons, but that was basically the max speed that we could make it at at that voltage. So for 2022, we increased the voltage. That was one of the reasons the robot became harder to control is that, you know, the robot works really well when all four wheels are on the ground and the floor has been getting a bit beat up and the less flat the floor is, the more often the robot's teetering on two or three wheels. When a Mechanum robot loses contact with one wheel, it kind of just goes in a random direction. It doesn't go where I'm pushing the stick. It goes in a different direction. I need to account for that by moving the stick in yet another direction to make it go the original direction that I wanted. Um, I need to constantly correct spin and drift um, as the robot goes in different ways. And um, again, without breaking, it's really um, like a hovercraft, but now it's like a hovercraft that's like slightly out of control. Now the combination of the floor getting worse and the robot being significantly faster this year made that really hard. If I hit forward the robot would start spinning and then it would spin so fast that I didn't have time to correct it manually. There's no gyro or anything else in in shatter because I I don't trust those not to break. Um so it's all like kind of manual um control. If you turn the braking on, um that'll enable the robot to kind of not quite be a hovercraft so much. If I let go of the stick, it'll just stop. Um and that enables me to more easily correct when the robot starts spinning off. Um, and it won't just spin off into the corner like an out-of-control hovercraft. I have a little bit more control authority over it. So in the Riptide fight, you know, we turned braking way up. We also welded the wheels uh, pins so the the pins wouldn't come out and jam the wheels, which was a re- problem we were repetitively, ha- repetitively having. We also increased the magnet height off the floor so that we weren't getting stuck all the time. All those changes made the robot a lot easier to control and it makes the robot a lot snappier. I move it where I want it to go. I let go of the stick. It stops. It stays there. It goes where I put it and then that's where, where it is. It's still not the easiest thing in the world to go straight, but it's easier to correct it with the braking on and it's a little bit different than driving a robot with regular wheels because if you let go of whiplash the only thing it'll do is kind of go straight or go backwards if you were backing up it won't continue Mm. to turn and spin and and everything else and and i think that's the big difference but between them and why braking helps so much on on it's also why i think you'll see a lot more people with braking on two-wheel drive robots um, because they do have a little bit harder time going straight than, uh, a four wheel drive robot, which just will naturally track, um, straight. Hmm.
2: Interesting. Uh, Hopefully Jeremy that Sheckler, sense. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
4: Um, Jeremy
2: Sheckler, um, asks, have you all thought about doing a different sideways drive like Swerve or H drive, or are you sticking with mechanics?
4: Yeah. So we've looked into a lot of them. I- I've looked at H I've, You know, we've looked at Swerve. um, We've looked at weird things that don't have names. Uh, We've looked at regular Omnis. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the thing is like Swerve is awesome, but there's no way we can fit the weight necessary for uh, like a durable Swerve drive in with Mm -hmm. the weight necessary for the weapon and the chassis. Like, I think it would be really cool to see someone do it for us and the size of our team, I think it's too big of a challenge to, to get it in the weight limit that that we need to hit and the construction style that, that we're familiar with. Uh, maybe someone could do it um, in, and make it durable enough. I know there's, there's some in, in smaller weight classes and they're so cool and I love Swerve. What I love about it particularly is like it can solve the tracking issue where like it doesn't just drift everywhere. It's got real wheels that are pointed in a real direction that have control authority to prevent sideways movement. You go straight, it's gonna go straight. Uh it's not gonna if one of the wheels comes off the ground, it's still gonna go straight. It's not gonna just go off in another direction because the vector is now unbalanced. Right? So all the other ones, X drive, H drive, regular Omni, three drive, like if the like they, they don't have great control authority to go straight. Um, they rely on a lot going on. I like the three because you always have a wheel in contact with the ground, you know, combination, combination with braking. It can be pretty good, but, um, I don't know, uh, honestly right now. And I think this is going to make people, this is probably the most controversial part of this interview. Um, we are considering regular wheels on shatter.
2: What? Yeah. Adam, you, you can't drop this like an hour and twenty minutes into the interview. You well, know, this like, is a uh, bonus
4: for everyone yeah. who stays this far.
2: Good. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Take take this to Reddit, you know. And um, you know, Adam as as probably the, the most active BattleBots builder on Reddit, I'm sure you'll be the first one to see, you know, like uh, oh my god, breaking <laughs> news. Um okay, wow, that's very controversial indeed. Yeah. Um Samuel Grasshoff, who is a, a fan of Robot Wars, has a quick question. Uh, have you considered a similar drive style to Razor from Robot Wars with rubber wheels on the front and Omni wheels on the back?
4: Yes. Actually, even oh. if we go with regular wheels, we are considering that, um, potentially for a different reason from Razor. Um hmm. With regular wheels, you can get a lot of scrubbing with magnets. We would still have a lot of magnets um, regardless, and Omni wheels at the back can reduce the scrub. Um, while maintaining a four-wheel drive pat- platform that's pretty balanced. I'm not sure if that's exactly the route we'll go. We have other potential solutions. One of the reasons to go with regular wheels is the amount of time we spend fixing the Mecanum wheels is absurd. Hours and hours of time after every fight, repairing them and replacing rollers, and they're just tearing themselves apart. Um, and we can't fit bigger ones, like even with massive redesign, they just get too big. They're too heavy. Like um, it's very, it's very difficult. So yeah, I I don't know if I'd want to keep regular Omnis on it. They are a bit more durable. They can have bigger pins, bigger rollers for the same size wheel, but it's just sort of like, a, don't know. I might be traumatized at this point from the mechanics. Um, We've,
2: we've entered a stretch of very possibly very quick, uh answers here like could could even Speed. be just one, Speed one word Speed. no mm-hmm. this is good um kokoro mana who runs serial killer at nhl uh writes i believe you said in the past that you turned shatter into a heavyweight knockoff white if battlebots gave weight bonuses to shufflers do you think that there is any way that battlebots would ever do this
4: yeah, um I don't think they're going to do it, but I stand by that. I definitely want to make heavyweight knockoff weight. I really love driving knockoff weight. Um it's it is just you know when you're heavier than the opponent, it's just this like imposing like thing and it goes exactly where I want it. It turns, it stops. And it stays mm. put because it's just like this rubber mat on the ground, basically. When it stops and goes straight, and and it just pushes people, and it, it's so much fun. So, um, you know the the code name for, uh, for one of our designs in the mix for next season is is Project Cow, um, mm. for a heavyweight. Now it won't weigh three hundred twenty five pounds because we won't have the the rules for that, and it's not going to have shufflers because that wouldn't be an efficient use of, of weight, but the intent is to make the new shatter drive and act more like knockoff white. Um, in that it is a formidable pushy robot that you don't know what to do against. And then when we fire the hammer, it hurts. (laughs) Um, Mm. so, uh, that, that's the goal. Um, this, past season as a driver, it was so frustrating not to be able to put the robot where I wanted. And although we got it pretty dialed in towards the end of the season, I just kept feeling that I wasn't using the Omni wheels to their maximum potential anymore. I attribute this mainly to the shelf. I think if the shelf wasn't there, then we could stick with the Omnis and I could drive in circles sideways around people. But I just... I just look at the tape and I look at the arena and I think about how I'm driving. I can't do it much with the shelf there. Right. There's just no room. The robots are big and there's so many kill saws and, and everything else that like the advantage that I had in previous seasons is not there. And I'm just kind of losing the pushing war, um, which feels more important um, at this point
2: hmm uh wes who is building a robot called death punch uh asks which would be the better robot shatter with treads or emulsifier
4: with mechanics <laughs> um hmm. i guess shatter with treads would be my pick
2: okay. yeah Good. Uh, Mitch, who runs Purple People Eater at NHRL, has a good hypothetical question. If you were to put Shatter against the Heavyweight Emulsifier... Oh, oh gosh, he wrote this in a weird way. Okay, uh, yeah, basically, if you put Shatter against the Emulsifier, uh, who do you think would win that fight?
4: Well, we did this fight once um, in the Feathers. We had a knockoff way versus Emulsifier at um, at, uh, Motorama. And Emulsifier won because that season we couldn't get the motors to stop vibrating off the gearboxes on, on knockoff weights. So eventually one of my drive sides uh, quit and we just kind of spun around in a circle. At the heavyweight scale, you know, it's tricky. I, I think a fully operational like dialed in Emulsifier is going to be near like really, really, really hard to beat. Right And and this season and the regular season, I don't know if we got to see a fully dialed in emulsifier. I know we we're having some traction issues here and some weird drive cutout issues there and the forks we couldn't get to run right. And so, you know, there was there was some weirdness. If we get it working like the feather, ooh, it would be hard to bet against it um but you know we've got a lot of we've got a lot of tricks up our sleeves too i think it would be a close fight i think it would be a good fight um i don't know who i'm betting on hmm well i hope i see it in season eight that'd be great
2: (laughs) um mitch has a follow-up question you kind of already semi-answered this but um if you were to rematch at the feathers uh so knockoff white against 30 pound Mm -hmm. emulsifier do you think that you could take emulsifier in that uh that follow-up match
4: well, hopefully once I get the fork dialed in um, this season, it would be a better fight. I think in the Feathers Emulsifier's Fork game would be formidable um, for the current knockoff weight. But when you're going up against a 45-pound robot with an inch of UH and W on the front and a hammer that can pretty much pierce almost anyone's top armor, it is tricky. There are exposed yeah. belts and things on Emulsifier and... Uh, emulsifier doesn't weigh 45 pounds so anything can happen um, We, the reason we lost the first fight I don't think would be the reason we lost the rematch so I don't know it's it's either uh, we win with knockoff white or knockoff white gets like completely obliterated <laughs> <laughs> right. there's no right. there's no bottom armor on knockoff white like at all like, it's just holes so uh, if he gets yeah. down there it's bad <laughs> Uh,
2: Mitch has a really nice note here. Uh, so shatter and also emulsifier at NHRL were big inspirations for me in my earlier experiences in the NHRL community and seeing you guys helped inspire me to quote unquote, finish my beetle. So keep up the (laughs) great work. Um, well, Ryder nice. goal Oh, yeah, exactly. Thanks, Mitch. Um, Ryder uh has a question here. Do you agree with the decision that BattleBots made to put Shatter in the tournament over Emulsifier? I thought that it had the better showing with closer fights, but Shatter has the history with BattleBots in particular.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, when when I think about why, you know, on pure performance, we were convinced Emulsifier would be the one of our two robots to get in, if any got in, but we thought the chances of us getting in were very low. When I think about why, I mean, I've heard all sorts of reasons. Like, I, I heard it was because we were super aggressive. I heard it's because we're super durable, I, all these things. I, I think that a hammer is probably more interesting than a vert uh, in in the eyes of the selection committee. And I think that if I look at the fights, there, were, there was a fight where Emulsifier just died. And I don't think they wanted to risk that happening in a playoff fight. But I'm, you know, I'm reading in between the lines here. Like Shatter usually lasts; like it'll get wrecked, but it'll put on a good show. Um, and so I think, like, when you're trying to pick between robots, they're not solely picking on record. Like there is our previous record from previous seasons, and and maybe that was what it was. Like everything I do is is guessing, but we definitely thought Emulsifier would get in. Why I picked Shatter, I don't know. Uh, but we definitely thought it would be Emulsifier at the time. <laughs>
2: shatter is uh, incredibly popular with the fans you know like that's that's uh that is that is an element to I me mean, people want to see shatter in the championship um yeah. so so yeah that, that would that makes be nice sense. that would be great <laughs> yeah um michael weiss has an interesting question what is your favorite win with shatter in uh over the the, the, the past uh four years oh. of, of his career at BattleBots?
4: well favorite win on battlebots has gotta be our round of thirty two victory over donald hudson and um and his his robot because that was like surreal I mean I had toys of dissector and mm-hmm. I saw him on t v um like twenty years ago and just when you get an opportunity to fight. The people that you you watched on tv it, it's surreal to begin with because it, it's like imagine you know you're watching a football game or something and and then you you make the nfl and play against the people you are watching that's absurd mm-hmm. to even think that that might happen and to me as a kid like this show was was like up there right like I, these people were like celebrities and so just to to face him he's he's legendary the most giant nuts ever right from from all of his his wins so um that was to win in a knockout um and to i i think that was one of the best fights i've ever driven in my life it was just perfect which we had to be because donald doesn't really make mistakes Um, but we were able to, to outdrive him, um, and get the, the internals to overheat. And that was, uh, and to win that fight. I don't think many people were, were betting on us in that fight. And, and so that's definitely, that's definitely my favorite win. Um, and I think you can see that on our faces afterwards.
2: Yeah. Michael's got the uh, terrible flip side of that. What is your favorite
4: loss with Shatter? Favorite loss? Yeah. Um that's tough. Favorite loss. Um I don't know. I don't know how to how do I quantify a favorite loss. I think some people
2: would say like, "Hey, I lost, but it was an amazing fight, you know," or like, you know, I uh went into this really like not favored to win, but it was it was a very close loss, you know, like I really hung mm-hmm. in there. Um, did you did you have a loss where you came out of it feeling okay? Where you're like, you know what, well, okay, that okay. was pretty amazing.
4: You know, here's here's another. This is maybe this is another controversial part of this interview. I think our fight this week's episode against Riptide is was a really good fight. You know, yeah. a lot of our losses, I feel like, oh, the robot didn't do blank or we didn't do blank. But in that fight, we came in and built the best robot we could. It performed the best it had of the season, and we drove it really well. And there were some moments that were really close in the beginning of that fight. We got some really good hits. Um, We got some really good damage that just wasn't quite where it needed to be. And then we got destroyed. (laughs) And we got really wrecked, and we kept taking those hits for a long time. Um, which I also thought was impressive, right? Like once the forks came off, we lasted way longer than I I thought we would. And the forks worked really well until they came off. Um, and so I, I, I felt like the fight itself was a, was a good fight. We got completely destroyed. And I think from a casual viewer's point of view, they would say that fight wasn't even close, but I think we had, there were moments where it could have gone back the other way. And that's, what's always interesting about shatter or, or any of the hammer losses is that like, they are literally like hit or miss. They'll either hit the tiny target they're going for, which will cause just the right amount of damage, damage that part, and then they can win the fight or they'll get completely trounced. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't mean it wasn't close. And it doesn't mean it wasn't fun. And I, I mean, it's, it was crazy to see shatter bouncing off practically the ceiling and, and everything else. And I thought that was a wild fight. Nice. Um, NHL builder Chris, Chris Weiss has a thought provoking question.
2: What kind of robot do you think will be the first to win the giant nut in this modern era without a spinning weapon hmm. and follow up question when?
4: Okay. Well, I mean, maybe it already has, right? Um, True. That's true. You know, when is it going to happen for the first and or next time? Could be now. Could be two weeks from now. Yeah, it could be. Could be two weeks. I I think like. I still think hammers have a distinct advantage within the field. Uh, I call them targeted damage robots. You know, they're aiming at parts of the opponent that aren't used to be normally aimed at. And if you get enough hits, you're gonna hit something important. And our strategy for a while was the the mechanisms to kind of pirouette around people. But I think, you know, maybe we need to take more of a sawblaze approach, where we scoop them up, run them into the wall, and then instead of hitting them once with a with a disc, imagine if we had sawblaze with a hammer, scoop people up, run them in the wall, and just hammer them 15 times mm. like blow style but with a hammer yeah. as powerful as shatter, if we hit the same spot that many times in a row. Like that's, that's going to mess some stuff up. And I mean, that's what Beta did to us um, in our fight this season. Um, when we <laughs> picked horribly with our, with our setup, you know, they took advantage of that, drove us in the side, drove us in the wall and just hit the same spot so many times. And, you know, we had an insane armor setup that was able to take it, but, I don't think many people could have taken those hits and we did end up losing because he did end up hitting our, our weapon chain in the midst of the, those flurries. So I think hammers have a distinct advantage if they can get a, a decent drive game going. And I think everyone knows that flippers like blip and, uh, and uh, Hydra are, are hugely um, scary to the field um, with the power they have these days. So, you know, it's, it's probably a hammer or a flipper. I, I think, It's really difficult for a grappler to win or a lifter to win um, these, these years. I I don't know if, if it's enough, Um, you'd have to be perfect, perfect to win with a a lifter or a grappler because you're just giving up on damage practically with the way robots are built these days. Um, Oh, and then of course, quantum, I love quantum. And uh, Mm. I would love if, if they were the ones to, to do it, the, it's such an absurd robot like let's just not have any armor really at all and have a giant head that looks like a a, a dinosaur that clamps people to death <laughs> it's amazing so, uh, yeah you know i i they're they're the outlier there with it the, with the insane crusher weapon i would love to see quantum win um and in a way, they're similar to my thoughts on on hammer robots, right? You, you drive around, get them somewhere, and then do something. Sawblaze does that really well with the hammer saw. Quantum does that really well with the teeth. Beta does that really well against horizontal spinners, but hasn't dialed it in against verts. And uh, shattered didn't really do it well against anyone this season. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that strategy um, can work. And uh, yeah, I, I think any of those work work well, and then flippers are cool. So yeah, maybe a maybe a flipper can do it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we got that wasn't really questions. a definitive answer. Also, I haven't been answering any of these with one words. I, I I've been going on long diatribes. Sorry about that.
2: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You're you're doing great. Um, we we got uh, really questions here. Um, from both. My name is Sue and Jen Whippert. They both want to know. As someone whose robots seem to almost always take a different path than the four-wheel drive vert meta, is there a bot design that you've pondered in a this-is-so-crazy-it-just-might-work way? <laughs> and if so, uh, would you care to elaborate?
4: Yes. Okay, so I have a good answer for this one. I might have mentioned this before, but we have a, we have a file going called Project Stupid. Um, <laughs> and it is a CAD for a four-legged walking robot with an enormous vertical spinner in the middle. And the idea is that it's somewhat like huge, but it's a walker. And then the legs are like massive chunks of plastic, but with like full mobility. So it's kind of like walking like a spider, you know, it's not a walker in the way of, of knockoff way, like a legit four legged independent, like two or three axes control per leg, um, so you can walk like any any direction, forward, sideways. You know, like omnidirectional walking. The thought being that like these legs are just like so beefy chunks of like plastic stuff that like nobody can really do much to them. Like not a horizontal, not a vertical, and we just kind of like have this massive disc and just like if you come at us, you're just gonna hit this disc that's sticking out. So I I don't know if it weighed. 500 pounds you know like i think that would be pretty scary i think that would be cool
2: that's good i like that. project stupid yeah um if i if i win the lottery next week you know or i come into a lot of money from some long-lost relative i will be the first in line to invest in this idea yeah it's good um, I have uh, a really good thought-provoking question from Chris Weiss, um, this NHRL builder who everybody loves. You know, his kids were just the absolute stars uh this past weekend at NHRL. Um and he is he's curious about kind of the, the future of combat robotics as a sport. And kind of like specifically looking at it through the lens of your fight with Riptide. Um, So Chris writes, I'm not exactly sure how to word this question. So the lead up is perhaps a bit long, but necessary to the actual question that I'm asking. Um, It's very clear that BattleBots is a community. And honestly, as we've gotten involved with NHRL, we've experienced a larger community of combat robotics. And it is amazing, in some ways unique among sporting communities. This season of BattleBots feels like it has come to a pivot point as it grows. In the first round of the BattleBots tournament, the way you handled the particular event you were involved with was clear to me, and it seemed fair. Additionally, it was highlighted in the narrative of the show more so than previous incidents. This has sort of identified you as an important cog in the wheel of this pivot. Okay, here's the question. Trying to go beyond this particular event and looking to the larger community slash pivot, where do you see BattleBots in the larger combat robotics community going in the next year
4: from now, next five years, the next 25 years? I, you know, I, I think uh, whenever you have a sport or a community that's growing, you'll have stuff pop up that you didn't have pop up when it was smaller. Um, and it's just sort of the nature of the beast. Um, you know, it's just statistics. It's just odds. Um, I was really you know, disappointed to have to be caught up in, in, in some of this stuff. And because I'm, I'm, I'm really big about sportsmanship. I'm really big about competition. I'm really big about rules um, and being competitive. It's why I wanted to make sure that they were within the the rules before the fight. And it's also why I didn't shake his hand because I felt that he wasn't being sporting and in, in how he reacted. Um, why did it get shown I think you know, maybe a lot of other people would have just shaken his hand, and if I had, probably wouldn't be talking about this. But, um, yeah. So I yeah. I think like you're gonna run into this stuff, and it's just how do we react to it? How does the community react to it? And and you know how do we how do we move forward and and make sure that again we can be as fair, we can be as objective, we can be as as equitable going, going forward. Um, but you know, whenever things get big, you get enough people together, you have weird stuff happen. I, yeah. I don't know if it was a decision that was made anywhere. or It was just a thing that finally got caught on tape.
2: Right. Right. You know, I I think about this question a lot myself, and Chris, I know that you didn't ask me to weigh in, but like, (laughs) I I think about, um, you know, I think about the growth of lots of other popular sports, like, you know, if you went and watched NASCAR 50 years ago, or 70 years ago, or whatever it started, you know, it was a lot of technically minded people who were building cars in their backyard and racing them on dirt tracks for fun you know um baseball when it started off you know it was hey i'm a carpenter during the day and i come here and i play this like you know schoolyard game you know and uh, get paid a little bit of money for it and um it's not you know the kind of mega sized business that it is today for both baseball and for nascar and um you know like in some ways, I think perhaps if, if this sport is as successful as we all believe that it can be, that we are in that really early phase right now. And we're experiencing that right now. So when you go to NHRL or you go to BattleBots, you know, it is a very small, tightening group of friends and it's very community driven. Um, there's very little money, of course, to be made in the sport. And, um, you know, like as it grows, if it grows, that community might change. And, uh, all of us, you know, who are friends, um, we might go and find some other super niche nerdy sports to, uh, Uh to, to engage in, you know, as we have huge kind of esports teams that have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're putting into these super optimized meta designs, um, with mega Coca-Cola sponsorships and all of that. I don't, I don't know if that's, this is kind of the canary in the coal mine that's like kind of starting that, you know, um, or what, but like it is I think an a really interesting time to be involved in the sport and it is a sport, it's a real sport and it's growing very fast. And um like we are all here and we're all experiencing it. And frankly we don't know where it's going, you know, like what's gonna happen next year on BattleBots, I don't know. It's kind of interesting, you know. Yeah. Um where is NHRL going to be in five years from now? I don't know, but it's probably
4: going to be interesting and it's like cool that we are here right now at this moment in time. It's, you know, I, I think you touched on a lot of really good points, right? Right now, everyone who does this, you know, there's, we all have like day jobs, right? There's there's students, there's engineers, there's um, people in completely non-technical fields uh, who, who do this. Um, we're all just a bunch of regular people um, who get together to to partake in this hobby um we get sponsors who give us discounts or we could sponsor by our work um and and we make it work one way or the other and the budgets can be pricey for a hobby um but the budgets are absolutely nothing when you look at even low tier racing teams i think we're in a like you're mentioning a little bit of a t- potential transition period As the sport gains in popularity, as people get more competitive, as more money gets put into these robots, where it's becoming a little bit more serious, whenever things become more serious, you might need to take certain rules more serious to, you know, again, ensure all that objectivity and fairness. I mean, look at how many rules there are in in F1. Um, There are a lot. Um, But it's not to say people aren't having fun in F1, despite the seriousness and, and the money involved, but it does become very different. But what's interesting to me is that as the things grow, just because F1 exists doesn't mean that, you know, your local go-kart track doesn't exist. In fact, there's more of them now because of the popularity of racing as a whole, right? And right. and so I think that if BattleBots does become more serious and, and more money and bigger teams and, and it becomes a profession that we can actually like like spend all day at, Um, well first you'll see a ton of evolution in in the way the robots work and and perform which i think would be really interesting to see but second i think you'll see way more nhrl events around the country um more people will be able to partake in this at, at a lower level um if you can get that popularity at at the higher level and and i think that would be really great and so you know maybe we would lose a little bit of the community aspect at the top but we would gain a lot more at at the bottom and I do strongly believe that even if we were to become bigger we could maintain what makes BattleBots and the community special um even if that happened but um I think we're a long way <laughs> from that but there is a, there is a bit of a transition Happening now as it is it has to get taken a little bit more seriously um just within the past few years how the bots have have evolved and and gotten more expensive to build and run, but we're all regular people right now with regular jobs and we're all stressed out building this on nights and weekends and spending twelve plus hour days in the pits every day um making it work and putting on this show and and the same thing on the battlebot side I mean yeah they there are a lot of people at battlebots that work at battlebots full time but it isn't it isn't f1 they don't have 10 people that can check on on all the the technical directives right so we couldn't even have that many rules if we wanted to because we can't enforce them so you know we're all growing together we're all we're all in this together and it is an interesting period i'm i'm, I'm excited to see where it goes
2: yeah yeah i think about you know like uh the the books that are going to be written about combat robotics in the future (laughs) and it's like pretty cool that like we are we are in it and we're part of it so like that is pretty awesome
4: i look Um, forward to uh buying your book luke (laughs) good yes
2: um you know speaking of uh tara fisher wants to know what is a story about robot fighting that you've wanted to tell for a while but have not had the chance to yet do you have any stories that uh are untold at this point. Yeah,
4: I don't know if I've told this story um on a podcast yet. Um but uh you know a lot of the reason why I'm here was cuz I was nice to someone on the internet once. Um and I think this is there's a good moral to the story. Um you know back when BattleBots had just come back on the air on Discovery Channel uh after actually sorry, not on Discovery Channel, when it came back in the air on ABC. Um there was someone who posted in the combat robotics Facebook who said like, they wanted to have a competition in China. Does anyone want to come to China and put on a demo fight? And a lot of people tore him up. They were like, "That's dumb. It's going to be unsafe. Like no one's going to go like this. Get out of here. And I messaged him. I was like, Hey, like I would come to China for a demo fight. And we chatted and it turned, it turned out that we couldn't go. Right. But, but I was like, you know, like if you just want to meet people, like you want to get people for your event, like come out to Robo games. And he's like, what's Robo games? I was like, well, you know, here are the details. It's in California. Like all the best teams are going to be there. I was like, I'll be there with a new robot. Um, come chat with people. They'll see your reel. I think they'll be nicer to you in person. Um, if you just swing by Robo games. And so he came and he ended up being the producer of King of Bots. Um, and he met a lot of people. He came with a whole film crew, like looked pretty serious. And um, I got an invite because I had been nice and told him about Robo games. And a lot of other people got invites because they had been on various TV shows and, and such. And then we all went out to China and had a wild time and it made lifelong friends and, and lifelong memories and brought a bunch of people with me um, who also had crazy time and memories. And, and um, you know, that all fell apart in the end. And this kind of crazy international scandal um, that you can read about online if if you if you know the the right names of the celebrities involved, but it it was nuts international celebrity Chinese scandal um that ended up happening but anyway um if you're nice to someone, then maybe you'll get invited to fly around halfway around the world and compete in a robot competition on t v and become internationally famous and slightly involved in a crazy international scandal um so, yeah, always be nice to people online. Good.
2: That's good. Yeah. Um, uh, Nick Volcano wants to know, where are the new jerseys at? I've got the last two Shatter ones, and I need to complete the set slash match my scarves.
4: Uh, <sighs> so, yes, uh, new new merch. Okay. If people still want the jerseys, I think we can put them online. So, basically, I, I thought the jerseys were cursed. Um <laughs> So we didn't put them online because we didn't want to put that curse on people. But <laughs> if people don't think they're cursed, uh, then I, I think we could run a pre-order. I know it's late, um, but we could run a pre-order uh, and, and do it. We we have to collect everything ahead of time and then send it mm-hmm. out to get made and then, and then ship it. So it takes a little bit of time. Um, but if people really want them, uh, we, we can do it. Uh, but yeah, the reason I didn't do it was I, I thought that the season's jerseys were, were horribly unlucky. And I just didn't. Uh, <laughs> Didn't want to spread that. Yeah, I mean, but the emulsifier uh, ones did look really cool.
2: I mean, if if you're looking for someone's name to put on a jersey, you know, Nick Volcano is a pretty good name. So it, uh, it is you a know. good name. Yeah, um, Nick also wants to know: Are you selling or do you plan on selling any parts? I kill to even just get a piece of the armor.
4: Uh, yes. Okay, I have bought some frames, some like box, like like shadow box frames to put stuff in to sell um, like pieces of armor and, and such. And I just haven't gotten around to doing it because I don't want to just sell like a chunk. Like I want to sell a piece that looks good. So either with like a stand or a little photo of the robot and like, like in a way that you can display it and, and be proud of it. The flip side of that is that I'm very busy and I haven't gotten to do it yet, but you know we've got a lot of robot parts that are taking up a lot of room so i i would like to do that i'm also thinking about like making one of the old frames into like a coffee table like one of the old destroyed chassis cool. throw some legs on there glass top and just have like a little coffee table so i don't I don't know how the heck I would ever ship that anywhere, but that—that's been a thought of something. I was like, someone would want a coffee table made out of Shatter's chassis, right? So, yeah. hopefully, this season, hopefully this summer, we'll get some merch up there um, on uh, on eBay um, or on Etsy. Uh, but in terms of, of of robot parts, just haven't done it yet. Got it, Andrew Lynch has a weird
2: question, and feel free to tell him that it's a weird question. uh He wants to know, Adam, how long is your
4: hair? Uh, um I, mean, I don't know it's uh <laughs> I mean it's past my shoulders, you know, by like okay. a good few inches good, good, so uh um, maybe it's time to give it a trim every so often, I just cut a few inches off, so it's kind yeah. a
2: bit long. Uh, West from Team Death Punch has a New York pizza question. Uh, West asks, "As a New Yorker, what are your opinions on sweet and acidic yellow fruits on pizza?" I don't know what he's talking oh, about. Uh, pineapples? No, oh, I do not.
4: Oh. Uh, I do not put pineapples on pizza. That's for sure. But you know, to each Good. their own. Um, so I, I try not to pizza shame, but for me. I'm very particular, um, in pizza, but in in a weird way, I kind of have two like. There's like three tiers for me. There's fancy pizza. That's when you go somewhere and they do like a brick oven, whatever, mm-hmm. and 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 it comes out and it's got some fancy toppings on it. And, you know, it's tasty. It's very expensive. Um, and I don't want to eat that all the time, but like I know what it is. I kind of respect it. Then there's um, there's like Pizza Hut and Domino's and stuff. And like oh. honestly, sometimes I just want to have some Pizza Hut. Like it's not New York pizza. It's not fancy pizza. I it's pizza hut. Right. And so sometimes I do, I do get a craving for that. And and that's going to surprise a lot of people. But, um, in the middle tier is like my go-to kind of like everyday pizza, right? The, the, the New York slice, the New York pie, very particular in the ones that I like my go-to for a long time was Joe's. Um, I liked the one that was in like, um, downtown manhattan but they they have a few of them now and um i've i've thought they're very good you can get slices you can get pies just perfect ratio of cheese to sauce to crust um and it just was always it would always hit the spot recently i had a pie from this place fairly new nearby my um in brooklyn called brooklyn dop brooklyn d-o-p And that was amazing. It was a little fancier than Joe's in terms of like the crust style, but it was still hitting that kind of like classic New York vibe, and I loved that. That was that might have de- dethroned um, Joe's for me. So anybody going into Brooklyn, uh, if you're near like Prospect Park, hit up hit up Brooklyn Dop. They are delicious. Not sponsored. Um, but i will certainly (laughs) accept a sponsorship (laughs) good i'll accept the Um, pizza wes wes has a follow-up
2: question which raised pizza is the real (laughs) raise my
4: favorite raised pizza is one somewhat close by that's called like or maybe it's not close there's one called like not raise oh good (laughs) and i to me that's that's the real raise okay Good. Um, Reagan
2: Bachelor has a, uh, kind of dystopian, uh, hypothetical. If, uh, BattleBots gained sentience and robot combat was forbidden, how would you, um, reintegrate shatter and emulsifier into civilian life modifications to weapons and armor only? Hmm. So could you make shatter and emulsifier, I guess, uh, weapons of
4: peace instead of war <laughs> well i think the biggest issue with any question like this is they literally they only run for three minutes like three and a half oh, right. minutes right like so so first thing you got to put a lot more batteries in these uh to make them work uh they also generally only work on very very flat metal floors so uh <laughs> have to refit the drive um you know i don't know like what could they do um emulsifier could i don't, could like break rocks or something. Is that a job that that people still need? Um, Like like,
2: in the robot hellscape. Yeah, of course, you know, you need, you need that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, we're going to uh, to cap this delightful interview with a series of <laughs> thought-provoking questions from Battlebot Superfan and Horizon team member this season, Mary Catherine Carr. Um, so Mary uh, asks, we've seen Shatter evolve from shiny white to pink and blue. What is next on the color wheel for the robot?
4: I really like the pink and blue. It's just such a good color that I have a hard yeah. time changing it to something else. I don't know where where I would go because I just... It's such a good two colors.
2: (laughs) Yeah, good. Um, She asks, how is Mary so amazing with the pulverizers?
4: (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Both Mary and Paul are way better than me. I I tried it in uh, one of the emulsifier fights this season, and I was off. I I think that you just need to practice, right? And she's got it dialed in. She's got the timing um, dialed in. Because uh, they they're delayed a little bit. They're not instant. Yeah. Um. And and you just need to get the feel for it.
2: Interesting. Um. So uh, between you and Eric, which one of you is the Mario and Luigi of the Wrigley brothers, and who is your Bowser?
4: Hmm. Well, Luigi is taller, right? So Eric's taller than me. So yeah, I I, I have to be Mario in in that instance. And who's <laughs> Bowser? um i don't know probably ethan at this point
2: no No, you're right
4: yeah (laughs) um and then she uh just has a
2: couple of notes here at the end moose's dad was in the audience and i'm so proud of him at filming so shout out to moose i don't know who moose is moose uh, is uh, paul
4: yeah paul's oh moose and it says moose on his jersey we have this running joke that like they will never refer to Paul as Paul in the TV show. One time <laughs> he was mic'd up and it was captioned as man uh, when he spoke. And then this season they referred to him as Moose because it said Moose on his jersey. Um, Good. So they'll never, they're never going to actually say Paul. But his name is Paul Gansitano, and he's a huge help uh, on the team. And uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without him. So he's he's awesome. And yes, his nickname is is Moose.
2: And apparently his his dad is uh, in the audience and proud of him. So um, I'm proud of you, uh, Paul. So that's good. Um, a final note here from Mary. I doubt that a Mostly fan like myself can help at all with getting the Builders contract sorted. But if you ever need anything, I am 100% there. So you have a, um, a Mostly fan, uh, you know, uh, in your corner, Adam. So uh, keep up the good work.
4: It's, it's great to hear that, that people support the builders and, 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 you know, I do, I do just want to say again, like it, it's not us against BattleBots. It's, it's us yeah. with BattleBots. And, and the whole thing was just like, they didn't necessarily know everything that was going on because we're all so busy all the time that it's hard to stop and, and pause and, and take a, a breath and, and see the situation. And once we were able to do that, we were able to work together to, to make last season um, you know so much better from from the builder experience and we hope that that came across in the performances on TV um and the quality of the fights because that that at the end is is the goal right to put on the best fights as possible and everything we were trying to do the reason we need we wanted more money and we wanted better rules was to put a better product in in the arena and uh all that money that we got went right into the robots and i, I think this season um you could really see the the result of that. Adam, um, you know,
2: I said this at the top and I'll say it again here at the bottom. You know, you are so respected among the the builders and the work that you do is so important. I know that is a volunteer uh, role and probably pretty thankless, you know, normally. Or I guess, you know, I'm sure the builders thank you, but uh, maybe the the fans.
4: We get some thanks and and it's not just me. And, you know, it's it's all the builders together. of and, And... I, I just I care really strongly about the sport. I, I wanna see it succeed. I want the builders to succeed. I want BattleBots and, and HRL to succeed. I, I just wanna see the sport grow and, and be a positive impact. You know, like like I said, I I loved um this sport since two thousand. That was when I was in high school and I became an engineer and chose where I wanted to go to college because of this sport and it's it's kind of guided my, my whole life just because I found a love for, for engineering and, and mechanical design, um, through this sport. And, and I, I think there's a lot of similar stories out there and, and we all share the desire to bring that to the next generation. And that's, that's all we're trying to do at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, thanks for having me. It's
2: fantastic. No, yeah, and I'm I'm so glad that we were able to hang out. I see you all the time at NHL. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Um, I will probably Soon. see you at BattleBots if and when uh, season eight happens. And uh, just want to continue to uh, wish you much luck. You know, in the sport as you uh, as you keep moving along in it. And, um, you know, just express that uh, that we appreciate you. So um, thank you so much for chatting with us. And I can't wait to see Shatter, Knockoff Light, and all of your many other delightful robots in uh, the arena again soon.
4: Well, it's awesome being here. Sorry I talked way too much, but um, it's always fun hanging out and chatting. And I look forward to, to seeing you again in person soon. And, uh, yeah, cheers. Everyone have a great night.
0: After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World.
1: Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're headed to the cruel, cruel world of robotic soccer. Where researchers at Google have trained robotic toddlers to pick themselves back up after being shoved to the ground. The miniature humanoid robots, which stand about knee-high, were trained on the basics of how to play soccer and allowed to use machine learning to come up with their own strategies on how to win. In one test, a researcher continually shoves one of the robots to the ground as it desperately tries to pick itself up and get into position to score a goal. Um, I have watched this video. We will include the video in our show notes. I highly encourage you to watch it all because if you are um, afraid of AI or, you know, the future of robotics the way that I am, it's nice to see them get pushed around a little bit. Yeah, it's but it's o-
0: because they're getting pushed around now as toddlers Oh yeah, where they're going to grow up and they're going to, you know.
1: It's only a temporary win, a very, very fleeting victory. And this is it.
0: We only have a few <laughs> years left to really push around these baby <laughs> robots. Lindsay, you realize that
3: this clip is going to get played to future robot children as <laughs> yeah. they're getting educated and indoctrinated in the anti-human ways. They're going to be like, listen to these humans just bragging about picking on us and abusing us when we were toddlers. It's not good you're not it. wrong.
1: It's I not can't good. even argue with that. But in the moment, it feels good.
2: The, the robot parents are going to be tucking in their little robot children at night. They're going to be saying, you know what? If you're bad, the humans that live underground, they're going to are come not- up and they're going to grab your little ankles in the middle of the night, you know?
0: <laughs> it, it's like we talk about what? Indoctrination, though. It's not even indoctrination at that point. It's just a firmware update. They're just going to show one video of this and then the the little, you know, the the toddler robots are going to be like, all right, I understand. I've updated my protocol and I'm going to annihilate these people. The uh, the, the thing that was a,
2: okay, two things. One, when you see this video, uh, first things first, like the little robots, they move like toddlers. Uh, like the way they pick themselves back up, the way they kind of scramble uh the kind of desperation in their movements it's 100% human toddler
1: it's very Um, cute
2: it's very cute however if you watch it like a second time you you can see just the like um never tiring kind of like relentless drive toward a single goal they (laughs) they look like zombie toddlers all right like uh like if you get tired of pushing this robot down to the ground, it will eventually score, you know? Um, and uh, all you got to do is teach it, uh, you know, something else, some other kind of skill, and it will uh, never run out of juice. It will just keep coming. Uh, there is no uh, defense against it. It will uh, last longer. It, you, you will fall asleep before, um, <laughs> you know, the robot will. And uh, that part is truly haunting. And uh, I think there's probably nothing worse or more harrowing than uh, a lot of robot toddlers, you know, crossing your front yard with knives or something, you know, coming to, to, to break, break your way into the, uh, into the house.
0: <laughs> oh God. Now, now I have a nightmare.
3: Now Luke, I have, I have a question for you. How many weaponless toddler robots would have to chase you or like be after you for you to fall down. Like, could you get away from or, or stop like 10 of them from getting you 20? Like what's the number where, you know, it's inevitable. They're going to, I
2: I mean, I, I feel like this is, this is one of those like exhaustion hunter kind of things where like I, I could, I could start off on a little jog and, uh, like two hours later I am crying. One of my shoes is gone and the toddlers are still coming. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I'd probably last less than a day. You know,
3: that's yeah. terrifying. Okay, yeah, yeah. I yeah.
2: I would eventually succumb. You know, the uh, the toddlers would be stomping <laughs> on my uh, my battered body. It's uh,
0: terrible. You just gotta... <laughs> why do you have cake batter all over your body? <laughs> right, right. <yes. laughs> I guess I mean that I you know. All right, you're trying to you're trying to persuade them to not destroy them. <laughs> right, right. Um,
3: tr- trying to convince them your cake? Is that how I it know. Trying try to trying to lower lower your
2: body temperature so their thermal cameras can't find you.
0: <laughs> yes, like Luke yes. is like Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger in Predator. <laughs> and instead of rolling himself in mud he he drops his body temperature by rolling in it you got to use what so you have around you in your environment them. chris <laughs> oh my goodness uh yeah i um i don't know what else to say i i feel like that i my 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 toddler destruction metabolism would uh eventually get, i i don't know like i'm not going to run far from toddlers they have just boundless energy yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're definitely gonna drop after 15 minutes of chugging along as a a, a modern American adult. <laughs> but they're just gonna keep coming, and so you have to either stand your ground or you have to go like on a Six Flags ride that's meant for people that are only uh, above four feet. That's like that's like the safe zones, mm. I think.
2: Mm. Just imagine the the zombie robot toddlers just crawling their way up the uh, the uh, the amusement ride, you know just uh
0: i'm i am definitely definitely having nightmares tonight now with little weapon wielding robotic toddlers
1: it's like little chucky dolls except they're little robots with knives yeah
3: that's perfect that's good okay to to all of the parents with young children who've been listening to this podcast in the car or in the kitchen with the kids around i'm sorry
2: maybe maybe in the future if you're a parent just cut it off at the end of the interview
3: you know (laughs) Yeah, it gets, but, it only gets weird yeah. after that. It's just, yeah, I mean, not you, good. you you got to protect your kids,
2: to, you know, like, uh, let's be responsible.
1: We're slightly better this week than, uh, last week. Oh, uh, oh, unquote, we got so many notes
2: about that, Lindsay. I'm so glad that you, uh, that you took it there. All right. That was, that was great.
0: You didn't share any of them with us. Oh, oh,
2: I heard about it a lot at NHRL. Yeah. Pa- parents would come up and say, <laughs> like, oh, hey, this is my five year olds. And uh, she insists on listening to your podcast in the car. So thanks for last week's Robots Around the World.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So it's that parent specifically. Uh, I'm well, sorry.
0: Uh, I guess this is a good time to end it. Well, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode. Thank you so much, Nicole. And we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye-bye.
3: Bye. Do um robot zombie toddlers dream of electric sheep? <laughs>